is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control and this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, NERVTAG, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious, and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on stage, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I to say, I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behavior.
one, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. I'm uh, picking up the pieces, as usual, after, uh, kids, kids, what can I say? All right, so today we will be streaming with uh, Christy and um, looking at, ah, who asked you to uh, minimise everything? I didn't. God, I hate computers. I really do. <laughs> That's the last thing I need Discord. There we go. Um, right, me try doing this. Meet the video. And um yeah, we'll uh do some do some chemistry. It's ringing. Probably help if I look at the participants. So um what have we Christy, can you hear me? Your mic is muted. There we go. Yeah, perfect. And just... Good evening for you. Uh, yes. Um, or, well, I don't know, kind of strange body clock time. I slept a lot in the afternoon, so sort of pseudo morning for me. You needed it. Ah, that's, that's what I say every time. But let's switch this over and let's just get rid of that extra shot of me and 
I'll try and put the chat as obnoxious spot. All right, all right. How have you been? How's you're looking well, considering. Thanks. I'm feeling better. Good. Good. So I don't know what you want to tell folks, but um, well, you were uh, just not in the uh, best of shape, right? That's, uh, now, uh, now you're better. Proteus mirabilis infection. Weirdest oh. thing ever. It's pretty rare. It makes uh. It's a UTI, but it's a highly pathogenic UTI. So it's the one that has uh, the highest mortality rate on it. Nice. Like 20 to 40%. And nice. You, usually it's seen, the doctor said, in like long-term care facilities or people who have long-term catheters. But it, it kicks out a lot of urease and endotoxin. But I got really sick and I wasn't responding to the antibiotics and then it makes stones and then it hides itself within stones mm. to evade the antibiotic. But uh, yeah. Are we looking at uh, another edge case here of um, dysregulated immunity and uh, emergence of, well, pathogens you wouldn't normally encounter? Is that, is that what's happening here? I don't know. It's usually found in soil. Is it? <laughs> well, I could have. Uh, I was gonna say, just keep uh, keep your knickers on when you're out playing in the dirt. I guess. <laughs> I didn't want to comment, so I jog a lot. I jog a lot. I jog a lot. I jog a lot out on you're the a trails. Oh, that's. Uh... And I run on the trails, and I wondered because I do take advantage because nature is is the bathroom so yeah i do sometimes do that right right um well there you go just uh i don't wipe with leaves but... <laughs> i grew up in nature camping and you know it... that's what leaves are for just not the sting you gotta nails. do what you gotta do yeah just don't grab the poison ivy and uh well <laughs> what a uh charming start to so um, there's a few points that we wanted to tee off on, I guess. Um, the uh, obvious, well, I don't know if I want to couch everything in gigaspirals, but um, the there was a point yesterday, and you know, I, did you watch the stream I did yesterday? Uh, yeah, I was in traffic actually oh, coming okay. back from the doctor, so I had you on a combo of audio and then video when I was at Forever Lights. Okay. Yeah, because I saw yeah. that JJ was talking uh, about Robert Malone, mm. talking about liposomes, but I don't, I don't know what the full presentation that Malone did because it was just a clip, so I don't know everything that he talked about. Mm, yeah, I, I don't really remember that much beyond it to tell the truth. I mean, it was just. Him basically talking about the process of uh, and the evolution of the technology as they learned that they could wrap molecules and genetic material in lipids of carrying various charges, etc. And I, I, I don't know, there's just this um, pretentious air given off by JJ that it wasn't the type of quality teaching that <laughs> that gigaspiral gives on his um 
and his uh, drifts into uh, fantasy. I was, I've watched him today because it was looking at um, Mike Eden, who he who he worships, and it's it's very concerning because what what you're watching is a um, a form of rationalization of limitation of knowledge right that um so Yeadon is basically you know because he started to drift in and he signed documents with the no virus um retards baileys and kaufman's and what have you and um he sort of walked that back and is basically saying i don't i don't know enough to comment on these particular issues and essentially that is where Jay is going or, or is at I would say and there was a couple of um, I don't know copes I guess some some sort of that when he's you know so there's the issue of protein misfolding and amyloidosis and as we've coming to understand the molecular biology um, clearer and particularly with your input there's a um, there's a risk from every level every strata of the uh, the product I guess and um, and, and so he's, he's he's gone through this uh, I don't know idea that well protein misfolding from viral pathogens is, isn't an issue everything has to revolve around um transfection and um to me that's a very limited way of looking at this complex data set and um and yeah in the process of that you know along the timeline we had him basically taking a dump on your work last week week before now and this week i don't know if it was a sort of sarcastic plea or um but basically asking you know why 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 can't someone with your skill set and you know has the bench experience um address these issues now you sent me in a dm and i think i think it's probably a good point to kick off on is do we know if Malone is up to date with the cutting edge of this chemistry? And yeah, I, I don't know because it changes rapidly. I mean, even in textbooks for school, CRISPR hasn't even that, like textbooks are even out of date mm -hmm. that have been used in like organic chemistry and biochem and cellular biology because CRISPR is so recent, so things that were even being taught, I think, five or seven years ago weren't even in the textbooks mm -hmm. that are happening today. And I know I, I sent you a link to hop on a drug discovery seminar. I don't know if we missed it. That was talking about oh. <laughs> the issues with RNA and lipid nanoparticle. And I said, Kevin, let's jump in, because I'm still on those lists to... I don't to know. I, I've, I've done so many seminars and what have you. I've got PTSD from it. I don't want to uh, be sitting there with another death by PowerPoint. Um, unless someone's making uh, off-color remarks with it all the way through and um, poking stuff. It's, 
I want entertainment with them now. <laughs> the, cor- the corporate, the corporate ESG-defined uh, presentations. I, I can't cope anymore. That's because you're a white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> you. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe it's just. Uh, I don't know, man. How do you? How do you? You damn QAnon. Yeah, it's just more frustration, I guess, at the um, at the state that we're in. And you know, one th- one thing I don't, I think, is a stupid tactic is to go around in as an active form of denial, and then saying that's literally using Plato's cave as a metaphor as to say that's the way out of uh, the <laughs> the cave. I think for me, if someone's coming at me and taking uh, shots at me, I want to know everything, every little detail, every little um, element that they could turn against you. And um, that's my approach. But then that's me. Um, and I, I, I presume you're the same. You seem to want to know all the nitty gritty details right yeah it gets gets upsetting when the conversation by people who have a larger presence on social media who are going on podcasts refuse to talk about anything other than the peg Mm. that's gotten old Mm. even after they've seen the data on the other stuff Mm. well um, which isn't even my data it's the nanoparticle company's data yeah. So they're saying it outright, and they're that's being ignored, like with the with the charges and. Well, there's a lot of that going on, right? That just you know, where the Eden crowd is, I would guess, is that they're right in saying that m- many of the mechanisms that we should have presumed were in place to protect a pub, the public got stripped out very deliberately. Someone had the power to do that and right. do it across multiple countries and systems. And that's some, that's some serious power there to do that. And I want to know who that is. Right. And, Hey, to JJ's point, I mean, we talked, we also talked about these episodes getting clipped in pieces and weaponized, but we were together with Charles and then was it Mary that stepped in and I had made the comment that when you take RNA and put it in a lipid nanoparticle, even if you're not making the spike protein, any protein, when it's made what's called recombinantly and it's foreign to a cell you have risk of misfolding and that is something that you have to tackle sometimes in the lab under really strict conditions where everything is being watched and it's not in the human body or with an immune system present but we we had we've had to put proteins through a refolding process and those weren't even the spike protein so you have how to do, use how do you know if they're and detergent because, I mean, the molecular weight's the same. The, um, it's some sort of crystallography. Hmm. 
I usually didn't handle that part of it. <laughs> the, the actual the the refolding step. Yeah, that's uh there's well, so there's three dimensional imaging for confirmation that can be used when you ask that. Uh just to leap off that in the graph whole graphene oxide thing. So that was in uh, an SOP that described how to elucidate what the three-dimensional structure was of the spike protein in the lab, and they used graphene oxide in that process. Right, that's the when you're using a ah, what is it called? Cryum. form of electron microscopy. Yeah, it? and um, to to see the actual structure. The amount the amount of tweets I've had to do where people have read that little bit from the Pfizer methods and they're like say <laughs> there is. some of the F mfm doctors were even retweeting that and i know that a bunch of people jumped in and said no don't stop and then no i know and i don't know i i wonder how much is just uh them wanting to maintain relevance and what have you so they'll leap on any any tweet, any Stock information. Shock value, anything for a... What did you call it? Shock value. Shock value. I was value. trying to think yeah. of another phrase. Yeah. Mm. Clickbait. Clickbait, that's better. Mm. And the... Well, you know, I guess if you're down in this level where... The, I, I, I take it as a given that we have limited reach doesn't matter what we say or what we do what we show um it's not it will not get picked up it will not um make it into the larger discussions the, well that was kind of the hope to going on that conference right was getting some of this information out there so it could be seen by a broader audience because it was mm. broadcasted on linkedin mm. youtube so it wasn't just within the Twitter domain. So I don't know about you, but that was my hope that it was going to reach some other people. And then it did because I had someone from the FDA Oversight Committee in D.C. reach out and contact me oh, okay. and ask me for information on the lipid nanoparticles. So not all is lost. Um, yeah, no one That's reviewing that slide deck right now. Okay. Well, at least uh, something happened with that. So, yeah, I mean, I picked up a, a few followers, but, you know, there's this... Um, balance between you know what i have to do with respect to the serious science and basically scrape out a living which is stream every day and um you know <laughs> the problem is you know this better than i do that um the well I, I, there was a story today that um vaccines are being aimed at the intelligent did you see this um, no i think it was a tweet by walter chestnut actually i'll find that where did i see it um but individuals within these academies the higher end of the uh, or the mid management etc kind of stuff veer towards the left woke end of the spectrum it's it's rare to get someone who would come from uh i don't know a more 
I, I don't write such such a passive way of thinking about stuff, but um, yeah, I'm. I just the vaccines were being targeted toward people who have higher IQ or higher level of intelligence. Yeah, education. And basically, this was the thing. They're they're the individuals that are getting vaccinated by choice, and um, if you're not doing it, then shame on you. And um, let me just see if I can. He he had a um, funny way of framing it. It was um, like a uh, we're reaching the next act or something like that. And um, here is the tweet screen. After that, do you want to talk about liposomes to start and then yeah oh that the stuff they didn't go over oh, that's great i love the poop <laughs> the so, poop. this this from walter i'm concerned the next act of the opera we are in will be the most dramatic the on track is playing and the stage is being set for the prima donna to make her entrance the new booster and how they are setting the stage. And he linked to Science Direct. Are intelligent people more likely to get vaccinated? The association between COVID-19 vac vaccine adherence and cognitive profiles. Um, this falls squarely in the domain of covert moral bio-enhancement. Or maybe not even covert. But what are the results? Conclusions. Um, addressing... Yes, and physical fitness had the strongest association with vaccination. Uh, so I guess that's general intelligence score. Yes, maybe. Um, yeah. So if you don't, if you don't go for uh, gene transfection of amyloidogenic uh, sequences in highly inflammatory lipid nanoparticles that cause <laughs> protein misfolding cascades, you're stupid. <laughs> that's that's the message here. I don't know what to tell you. You can see it, right? Yeah. Is it just because they're giving them a little bit of science and... I don't know. I mean, I remember... I've another... seen the... Sorry, go ahead. I was like going to comment on Malone talking ab about uh, the lipoplex effectively being a fat, but then when talk about advertisements... Uh, I know that the Native Americans, the indigenous population, were bombarded with offers of, what, what was it, $1,000 up to if they got jabbed. But also they made little flyers and they equated the lipid nanoparticle to having the same fat as an avocado. And they had a picture of an avocado <laughs> and they had a picture of cooking oil. And I wouldn't inject that in my body anyway, so that's still ridiculous. <laughs> but they actually compared it to being as safe as the fats that are found in avocado, and they had a big picture of avocado. And wow. I don't remember if it was Thomas Massey, because he's been blasting a lot of that out there. Rep Massey from Kentucky. Keep going, buddy. But, you know, I know he was releasing the, the early stuff on the insurance companies getting kickbacks for the number of patients that got jabbed like i think blue cross anthem 
But yeah, they were advertising and comparing it to the fat in an avocado. So maybe there are different levels of targeted marketing. Well, yeah, there must be, right? This is, the, um, you know, the... I'm avocados thinking, for the indigenous and uh, a little science for the phd people well th so there's two things here there's there's the copeland type networks right that's that's a pr little project halo type um network on twitter you can see it right that how they sort of aggregate and you know that that is very much um that wasn't organic, whatever his name is, Drew something. And he he gets, uh, he does a little TikTok and then gets picked up by Forbes and, you know, an account with several 100,000 followers. That's not organic. And, uh, and that was specifically aimed at the black community. Um, what do you, I, I, I don't know, I guess for the middle class, professional classes, or NPR in the US, I don't know what the, what the mass organs of communication are anymore. I mean, the news was certainly sort of pitched in one direction, right? It's news channels, all of them. Had had very targeted messaging. They used fear. I remember in the beginning of was it twenty twenty one? Was it when the first set of the jabs rolled out and they were getting the frontline workers? And then that is when there was probably a lot of adverse events that happened. A lot of people got hurt. Uh, I talked to a lot of nurses that said that they. A bunch of them were having neurological symptoms that even in this area, they admitted to some people dying or doctors now permanently disabled. And then there was people stopped getting it because they must have heard something's wrong. And that's when they released the images of burning bodies in the streets. Was that out of India? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they used fear tactics to mm -hmm. increase uptake again after the first round when people stopped getting it. Now, you know, there's this. So issue. I think avocado for the lower, beer for the middle, a little intellect for the higher. Mm. Probably a combo of the fear and the. Mm. Well, I, I mean, job well Presenting done. Right? wrong science. They, they got most of the people. So, um, and now here we are sort of staring down the the barrel of well, I don't know. I um I pray that Gert van den Bosch is wrong. I really do. But um, the next round is gonna be because he said high virulence with a higher infectivity, like what we saw with Delta, even though it wasn't as bad as they said, but then it was going to drop in virulence or how bad people had disease states and then as it increased in infectivity he said that would create an evolutionary pressure right mm -hmm. and then it would become more virulent yeah more so damaging the, the his assertion is that everyone claiming that omicron was a uh, a break right it stopped the 
uh, the the worst excesses of um, the pathogen exposure. What it's done is start causing these silent or breakthrough infections, and that's where you get into this cycle of the pathogen finding its way through um, innate defenses, and then eventually, well, you know, his contention is is that those who've been vaccinated are most at risk. If you've had infection and vaccinated, you're at less risk. And if you're um, natural infection or yet to come across it, then you're in a better spot. But um, I don't know. Does I, I mean what could be any any combination, as far as I can tell. And we we just have this curveball of this lipid nanoparticle and the genetic material it's been carrying just sprayed into the environment. And we don't know. Anyone who says they know what that looks like is lying, I would say. And We've never had that before. Mm. These projects have been for clinical trials for genetic disease and cancer, even liposomes, you know, what Malone was talking about, those have been used in breast cancer. And then they've been designed to stay in the body or in circulation in the bloodstream for up to, I think, 55 hours. Because if it degrades right away, it's not going to hit its target site. But those were used knowing there was risk because the alternative is cancer and death. Yeah, and you know, but they were used in such small, small numbers. Like you said, we don't. Again, I, I, I say I don't want to be against technology. What the the issue here is: has this technology been used in a um, for a cause where there's malfeasance at its heart? And this is the issue that we have to wrestle with right now. And it, there's a whole swathe of people who yeah kind of get that and so the the aversion to the corporate messaging is um baked in now and so we hope that um the damage is going to be minimized somewhat but there's still going to be a whole bunch taking boosters and it's on schedules it's on um Well, it's if if you're an employee of the federal or, or governments, you're probably going to be forced to keep taking rounds of it. So that's first responders, military, all, all the elements that we would expect or want to be in place should um, the worst prognostications begin to emerge, and that's. Uh, well, again, someone's made an offensive move against you, and we're we're having to adapt. Um, I I wish I I wish I was fully confident in knowing exactly what was going down. I do, I just don't like what I am seeing, and you know the well, I explain the lipoplex and. Because that just adds another element, attack vector. Then there's the contamination too. 
that it's not even plasmid contamination. And I re- wasn't sure if I was going to say it publicly to protect my sources because so many of us are connected to different scientists that are still working jobs. But I know I'm not the only one. So when you go into the FDA's website for the recent FOIA requests, I can see other people must have the same information that I have from internal sources. And I think I mentioned this on another stream that the FDA is not responding to my recent request that was now placed over two months ago, demanding all contamination information on all sites in the U.S. this past year. But it's because I know that major contamination of black particles that represented, uh, I think, was the steel shavings that happened back in 2021 happened again at a U.S. plant. I I haven't said that. Maybe I did say the location publicly, but it was in everything. It was in all vials, all batches. And, you know, thank fuck somebody stopped it from headed out the do- heading out the door. But as a result, they fired the director and multiple employees. And that actually made the news. So if you go Googling for a bunch of employees that were fired at a site, you'll find exactly where it happened. And that was in June. But then when I go in the FOIA request, so I put my request saying, give all contamination data, no matter what the amount was, no matter what it was, identify it, and then provide whatever resolution happened. They haven't responded, but when I go into the list of active FOIAs that are around the same time as mine, other people are filing FOIAs on the same exact site where that happened, and they're demanding to know how many inspections happened by the FDA this year, what they found in the inspections, and what the what the resolution for that was. So there's got to be other people leaking information. That was an issue people I know. glass as well, right? Oh, that was yeah. uh, Remdesivir. That, um, Metal shavings were in Japan, but they were also found in the U.S. But they, I think they stopped them from rolling out the door. Yeah. Um, <laughs> again, multiple, multiple assaults made on inject in some the- steel shavings i think somebody said in an article well what what would it matter if steel shavings were injected into your body enjoy your next mri um <laughs> shit i didn't think about that oh, shit <laughs> but this is um <laughs> yeah an un uh, unexplored territory right now and you know, the, the frustration I have right now is not enough people are taking it seriously as a weapons construct. This is the problem. They've, they've let them walk up to, oh, medical freedom, etc. And yeah, all important. I'm not, not going to um, say don't do it, but that final step is not being taken by people who do have the reach to be making it a topic of primary discussion. And that's not happening right now. And that, that's disturbing. And Robert Malone's not doing it. Um, I think we talked that maybe it's because uh, the larger accounts speaking out are also vying for those positions with the FDA, NIH, and CDC, and then public health departments. Mm. That was just my guess. Mm. I think so. That they're just going for choice 
but they're not going after the issues with the product itself and to pull it. You've got to, you've got to start. Hey, can I say that? But can I like say something just like on a personal note? Sure. So I've been called, I've been called uh, again recently. Uh, so it happened in June, but then it happened again a couple of days ago on social media again, where I've been called a baby killer, murderer, psyop, spook, drunk, <laughs> alcoholic, nurse. Nurses actually take a lot of abuse and they get hit from all sides, from doctors, coworkers, patients. Like, <laughs> Wait, I've got that's, why the that baby killer. Been... I've never called, but I guess with because I've worked in biotech, but they're not calling two of the frontline doctors who are in biotech any of those things. So, so that kind of made me raise oh, an eyebrow because two uh, of them, two of them are <laughs> doing a doing a TikTok video outside of Planned Parenthood, doing a, a, a victory dance after. A... <laughs> but, no, it's just association with. Uh, okay. Oh yeah, gotcha. Well, um, don't know what to tell you, Christy. Um, just got to push Tuck through the it. snot, sniff yeah. the snot. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the we just got to keep pushing the topic forward day by day and making sure that people, um, that it's out there because some people, you know, there's always some people sort of joining and following along and. Saying, oh, okay, and I get what I get what it is that you're saying now, and yeah, that's that's a sort of critical um, point. Um, the the question is is how much how much time do we have left? For... I just haven't made a TikTok video about swimming in a hot tub, I guess, or yeah, probably, you probably should do that, and uh, we'll we'll get millions of views. And uh, let's yeah. just talking about the when those guys were traveling and i get having a break but i think some of them were all in a hot tub and were choking or they were in milan or wherever you know some of the larger media people were Um, posting photos of themselves in a hot tub so i thought maybe i just need to do that i don't know about the hot hot tub tub. uh (laughs) sounds like a sounds a bit gay to me but um you know that's just me <laughs> this look hot tub with your lady. That's all right, dudes. Getting in a hot tub all together. Mm, nah. That's kind of reminiscent of steam baths. That's what you're saying. Uh, yeah, yeah. Look, um, we have uh, onsens here in Japan, but if we go, which is r- rarely, but um, I don't want to go in the public ones. They split them by male and female, what have you. Um, but mm, nah, <laughs> I'll uh, I'd rather pay the ten dollars extra and get a you know private room. And... I won't say any more, but uh, you know, with your waifu, yeah, yeah with waifu. <laughs> I looked that word up, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I I I have no idea it was. It meant that either. It was just I. I thought. What it do sound, you think it meant? <laughs> wife. I. I just made it sound. I. I heard other people saying it, and or was it their anime body pillow that has a picture of a? So now, I, now I know it's one of those. Um, but the From manga. <laughs> but that's. It seemed. Uh, 
more, <laughs> I don't know, cute than, the Japanese for wife is Oksan. Um, doesn't doesn't quite roll off the tongue like waifu does. So. Waifu. Because it yeah. sounds like wife. Yeah. Right. Sounds a cute way. Not Japanese so. porn pillow. Right. <laughs> well, it kind of is. It's a job, right? One of our jobs. Of Japanese porn pillow? Yeah, sure. She got to lay next to me and... Uh, You know, we got three kids, nearly had four. <laughs> they didn't get here via the stork. I get it. <laughs> um, so I, I want to look at the list that you had. So, um, so scientist in the streets. So we talked a little bit about Malone's. So JJ, I want to talk. A little more about that, though. I, I didn't know if people wanted more info on the liposome. What were you going to say? Because he just talked about charges, but there's different issues with it. Why they don't really use it often because there's risks involved. Yeah, go on, please. Go on. But I didn't know if you wanted to load the video with his picture or load up a picture of one so people would know what we were looking at again. Um, you could choose any. That's not a hard structure to... I mean, isn't that what most cosmetics sell people on? Oh, I have to get a, a new keyboard. Right, when you see me typing on Skype and it says typing, half of that is me. Is the cat walking across? No, I've got sticky keys. So even though I think I've pressed it once, I'll get like three or four letter E's and S's. And What do you have sticky keys from, Kevin? Um, I'm blaming the kids. Um nothing to uh we can have a 3d one or d would you prefer a more oh, okay. simple um whatever you want to load i don't remember what malone really said and then i don't remember what jj said either well malone was basically saying that you know there was this development arc with um, these molecules, right? So, um, you know, this is this is an issue that I've spoken at length before about, which is in the pharmaceutical world, like all the all, all the potential small molecules have been crunched and computed, and they've got them tucked away. So that there's there's actually very little space for novel development or, or new product lines big i don't know I'm trying to think of a like the ssr eye drugs that came out in the 90s that was like the real last um swing i would argue of pharmaceuticals having this product that they could mass market to individuals and you know that's anything that you get then is a sort of variation on the theme of SSRIs and what have you. And that now they're doing eye injections. So I used to work in the pharmacy that uh, I used to, I used to get those ready for the 
neuro-ophthalmology. When I was in my pharmacy path, I worked in clinic and neuro-ophthalmology, and I prepared those, like uh, the antibodies that inject into the eye for like age-related macular degeneration and diabetes-related, and it's an, an antibody, and they have long, fun names like Elflibercept and Biavzimacob. I don't even know how they came up with those, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they try to like you said they they hop on the the new thing and right now everything is liposomal and liposomal and mm-hmm. and so you can take old drugs and wrap them in these lipid carrier particles and um, you've got a new patentable product that you can then you know whatever the is it twenty years right that the that the usual they have. Yeah. Sole, sole use of the technology in the market. And I didn't want to talk about JJ because he, you know, he, he's right in some of the things that he has questions about the immune system, and I'm not an immunologist, but I just wanted to talk about the liposome and the issues that it can have with the immune system and why it's it's not it's not are really used broadly. Looking at a Liposome. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just uh, if you think of lipids, I hate to like Aren't bring out a little fuzzy thing. Just, um, monolayer. This is like a. Bi-layer. There's some that have. There's some that have uh, actually dual layers too, where they'll have two separate rings. So you know, for people who aren't really. Oh, let's see here. What is going on? I don't even know. For for people not aware of like a a lipid, when they form those ring structures, on one end they have what's called hydrophilic and one end is hydrophobic. And they're they're just little oblong-shaped things. And the hydrophobic hates water and the hydrophilic loves water. So they just naturally form these rings where the inside is trying to get away from the water and the outside loves it. And sometimes they'll have... Like you said, they'll have like dual layers, but then inside is a aqueous center, and then they can load it with a drug, or they can load it with DNA or RNA. And I think Malone was talking about charges, so he asked if, I think JJ asked if Malone was correct. I don't remember exactly that part of the video. I didn't know if we wanted to even like go over that, even though you went, you hit it once. I mean, I, I can play the video. We can make commentary on it um, all right i know you did yesterday but i didn't mind going more into depth if well you i mean it should be because oh. neither nobody did it was just ad hominem again yeah the <clears throat> stop with ad hominem no one's uh no one's doing it jj's way so it's all um... it would be awesome if jj go over studies man get back into science mm. Yeah, so this should start where um... things where you want to be able to mix oil and water uh, to remove. Did I share sound? I got sound. You got sound. Okay. But uh, dirt or whatever. Okay, so we have micelles. They're much smaller than liposomes. Uh, and my cells are just fats, typically, but then things can be dissolved into them. And in liposomes, they're like a Ziploc bag, and you can put things in the middle of it. They're intended to be delivered to different parts of the body by um, mm-hmm. these kind of passive distribution methods. And this was all pretty much... That's... Mm-hmm. Nope. No, 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 no. 
that can be delivered to different parts of the body, but that would have to do with charge or what's on the surface of the liposome. So I don't know if, if we wait for that to come up. And that's where the immune system comes into play and where bad things can happen. Mm. Um, and that's actually how the pegylated uh, nanoparticle came about because it the lipid nanoparticle itself had the same issues that the liposome has with interacting with things in the body, but you, you can attach things to the outside of that ring to interact with specific things, either to be recognized by the body, interact with receptors on cells. And, and again, I'm sure Malone knows all this stuff. He just didn't address it. So I don't want to bash yeah, Malone. So th like we is... were, we were hit for our 15 minute presentation. Like he was just giving an overview, like you said. Mm. But... And, and this is my uh, impression here. And I, I said yesterday that what, what I think is like happening. Malone knows his shit. Yeah, I, I'm sure he's technically adept. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that goes without saying. And I think what he was doing here was trying to do a response because of that Karen Kingston episode. Were you familiar I with that? I didn't even see that. No. What, you know, what you know who she, she is, What did right? she do this time? Yeah, she's the graphene oxide lady who kept talking about MSDS sheets when she should have been talking about MBR, which is the master batch record, which anyone who would work for the FDA or work for any drug company or biotech would know that MSDS sheets are sheets that have the chemical makeup and description of what chemicals are, and they have them in grocery store bathrooms on the Windex. And she kept, sorry, okay, to go on no, the no, 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 no. She's used incorrect on. language even with her... She's used incorrect language that anyone working at any quality control should know working at any product. She kept saying, I saw on the MSDS sheets of this thing, but she kept confusing it with, with what is called the MBR, which is a master batch record. And that is like the Bible of a project that you work on where scientists... So just, so just to go over MSDS sheets like that, would it be a chemical makeup of, say... DSPC and that uh, MSDS sheet actually lists it as being a neurotoxin, as fertility issues. No, Jessica Rose and others have brought this up too, and that's awesome that it does have this wild list of bad things associated with it. And that's one of the lipids that's in the lipid nanoparticle. But uh, yeah, she had talked about MSDS sheets improperly when she was talking about something. We have what's called the MBR master batch record when you do biotech or make a, a pharmaceutical and it starts from the very beginning with the gene sequence or whatever your starting materials are and every step of the way every scientist that does anything via expression in cells or mixing things together or taking analysis and you're getting the result of what that analysis is like if you're using you know when we talked about how to elucidate the uh the the physical structure you know that's like cryo-electron microscopy, and I think before they used the the crystal crystallography, yeah, the X-ray. But that's all in there. Every scientist, like little initials are noted, their bench number, what the results were. And then it's this huge Bible that usually isn't even released to a client if somebody else makes the thing for you. But yeah, she's been off on a lot of her analysis and which was kind of surprising. So sorry to rant on. But yeah, yeah when no, she and... she's the one who started off with talking about graphene oxide is in there. And we're like, mm. no, that was used on the surface to help uh with the the imaging of the 3D structure to see if it was 
you'd see a misfold or whatever was happening when it was used to cryo-electron microscopy. And pushed. So what's her newest thing? <laughs> well, so, you know, part of her shtick was that Damn. they've got this self-assembling technology that um, they can uh, flip 5G on and um, it will make uh, nano robots inside you. Holy crap. And... You know, I, I think, and the thing is, she did like this call out video, right, where she's in Mexico, and she's oh, basically. Oh, so I heard she was there because someone said she she thought she got poisoned. Was that true? Because that's actually what I thought when I got this bacterial infection. Because they were like, "Holy crap!" Well, it, it gets so worse. She went to Mexico for two weeks. It gets. She worse. thought she was poisoned. She goes. Uh, and seeds this all through that um, alternative media ecosystem and basically says Robert Malone and Children's Health Defense is trying to have her killed because she's been highlighting this nano self-assembling technology. And, you know, but directly naming Robert Malone as the protagonist who's trying to have a whacked basically and the i think what he's doing here is trying to use or explain what this language means with respect to self-assembly how how the evolution went from biochemistry to i remember it happening and then suddenly everything became sort of nano technology and that's it's the same the chemistry which is medicine didn't have much more space to grow and that was when i was in yeah pharmacy because that's my first pass um i remember my preceptor saying that biologics was the next frontier because we had only in medicine grown out laterally and no real leaps had been made vertically in treating people so he said i remember saying biologics and biotech was or customized biological medicine like right now they do genetics testing to look for specific genes and the way people metabolize drugs in the cytochrome p450 complex mm. the stuff like that but so he so he spent his time doing a rebuttal to her i think this is what this is um, I know we're doing rebuttals, but wow. <laughs> yeah, and so what he's doing is he's explaining this. Well, you have a negatively oh, charged molecule, I don't know, genetic material, right, because of its backbone, and you mix that with your target lipid, and it's going to naturally, through electrostatic forces, um, come together, and that that would suck with MRIs as well, would it not? Um, it's not large enough. It's not large enough, and um, the... I was trying to make a joke. Nanobots constructing. Come on. Okay. <laughs> well, there's the well, unless the metal is in the core of the lipid nanoparticle, I guess. But the so he, this is what I think he's doing, and so he's he's going through this process of explaining and giving the history of the domain and discipline and you know the simple fact is is that in like the academic domain there is often prior to a technology being adapted and then commercialized and put out 
en masse. There's a very sort of bespoke um, family tree, I guess, if you like, of people who've come from like a grandfather researcher to next generation and next generation. And so you can plug my name in and you can see who have been my principal investigators going back and it goes back to Allport as a sort of electrophysiologist and you can sort of track that way and it usually it's very small in that world and he's describing that yes in in that world in the 1980s um there would have been very very few people and biologics would have been a very um novel way field. yeah yeah of um thinking about drug delivery and so he's trying to explain what these lipid particles are and as you said he's talking so he's going from my cells to um, phospholipid um, bilayers and what and tr just trying to address this issue that it's not um, Borg like elements coming together under um, control no assimilation mm. so that that's what I think I, I'd th sent I think I'd sent you Kev in, I know I sent a few emails, but there was an email I sent with a lot of stuff, and I think I sent photos of like my cell versus uh, liposomes and how they form if he doesn't bring them up, but just show their basic if people want it. Because they just, they do, my cells do, those do self-assemble in water. Those do come together in water. Like I think he was going to explain, like if you poured olive oil into a pot of boiling water you know the oil usually attracts and comes together mm. but yeah i'm interested in hearing what he says again much the state of the art in the mid-1980s people were trying to find ways to use a non-viral method to deliver dna and uh, largely frustrated dna is a very expensive molecule to manufacture and it just is very difficult to get it into the inner part of the baggie of the ziploc bag of a liposome it just doesn't happen very efficiently and most of it ends up on the outside of the liposome so that doesn't do any good and uh, there were some researchers at a company called Syntex. Syntex made most of its money off of the development of birth control pills, just for some historic reference. Syntex was based in the uh, San Francisco Bay Area, around Stanford. And some researchers there were investigating ways to change the charge on neurons on the surface of a nerve cell so that they could do investigations about the effects of drugs and the biology of nerves and all this kind of stuff. And what they found was they could take the lipids, the fats that they would put into a liposome, and add fats that were, had positive charge and make a formulation such that these positive charged liposomes would be attracted, like uh, iron filings to a magnet. They would be attracted to the negative surface charge of a neuron, and they would be attracted, and then they would fuse, and they would put their positively charged fats that were assembling on the lipid complex, put them into the membrane of the neuron and change the surface charge of the neuron, and then you could do various science. So that was the state of the art about um, 1985. When a student uh, did some work on a and kind of a, an internship at Syntex, uh, and the student had come from UC Davis where she had worked uh, with some leading investigators that were right at the cutting edge of uh, recombinant DNA, uh, um, Bolivar and Rodriguez were their names. And they had developed a plasmid, this is something that can be grown in bacteria and purified a circular form of DNA, and engineered it so that it could express foreign proteins. It would have a promoter, enhancer, and open reading frame to produce proteins. And this was the hot new technology at the time in the mid-80s for recombinant DNA, and potentially for engineering cell lines. And there was various ways to do this using... I think I found your... I just sent another one just in case. But that's what you were after, right? 
There's another one too. I just sent you an email just now with some photos. So he's right, but he didn't talk about the issues with the human body of having positively charged components or like cationic lipids and positively charged lipids that would be hanging out on the surface of a liposome and how that would interact with plasma proteins and complement. And then we're getting into immune system stuff. That's really scary too, to think about how you want to change the charge on the surface of a nerve cell and change its the activation potential of a nerve firing is that what they were trying to do he didn't say that but um that's your that's more your with uh, the brain stuff right when you well, talk about ac action potential and nerve firing yeah so you know you have a because um, you have your sodium gated channels and your potassium and how you reach is it 55 i'm trying to remember yeah so you have a sort of resting membrane potential and you know the cell goes to a lot of trouble to shift ions either side of it so that um, when the time comes to fire it allows the influx of sodium into the cell so the yeah so it's intracellular would be minus well it depends which cells you're looking at but um, they can be lower and then so in basal ganglia, there's like this up-down state. And if you get to around minus 55 millivolts, it increases the propensity for it to fire. And so there's this... Um, you want to maintain a readiness in your networks, and that involves ion exchange and maintaining the intracellular electrical environment at a particular state and depending on the network how how ready you want it to be and so because of that charge if you bring in something positive it's just going to or positively charged it's going to attract to it like essentially like the pre-step with the drug right or the wrapping a um, genetic piece of material in this um, in these cationic lipids um, Again, there's a specificity issue. So are you going to get it in the right part of the brain, etc.? And you know if, if you're aiming if you're aiming at a tumor, for example, of course you can have a neurosurgeon drill a hole in your skull and they can inject the biologic in that way. Um, Doing it via IV, mm, I'm not so sure. And I would wager that much of this, what he was talking about, would have been done on culture dishes rather than... Um, Monkey brains. Mm, I'm sure they did. McKay. But, <laughs> um, but well, you know, the, the, the view that I'd always worked with was we made we made the assumption that genetic therapies in the brain wasn't really a viable approach because you would always have to use some viral vector or yeah. because of the um 
the lipid vectors that it would just go everywhere in the brain. It would be very difficult to um, maintain specificity at, at the site. And it's bad enough trying to just inject like small molecule drugs directly in the brain. Um, you can you can find their effects very very well. I say very far away, but in terms of networks and anatomical distance and functionality, you can see the impact um, way way further than what the. So you'll do tests to measure the size of the bolus that you push into the the tissue but that's just the bolus right and it doesn't tell you much beyond what the molecules are doing inside that bolus and how far they'll diffuse and that, that there are a lot of factors involved in that um so you were saying he's wrong in well you can you can what did he say that it was but it is is he not just um He's just simplifying. Yeah, simplifying for a, a generalized audience, right? Because yeah. th that's what J Jay flipped out about earlier, where he says, "Well, they're they're lipids," and he says, "Oh, how about it? but they're phospholipids." And well, you, you you talk about phospholipids, you've taken the technical language up a notch, and so people will then start to um, switch off, and so it, you're in this. Okay, do you give the person the avocado flyer, or right? <laughs> Bring in the pipe cleaners. I don't know if you wanted to play a little bit more, and then mm. I don't know if we wanted to show photos of what my cells and liposomes are, and then talk about the consequences of having positive charges on the outside of a liposome or a lipid nanoparticle. Mm. Well, I, I think, think I think that he, he gets, talks about it. He gets Does to he? that, yeah, in okay. a little bit. So. Uh, okay. Things like calcium phosphate and DEA dextran. This is minutia in, in lots of history now. And this uh, student did a rotation at Syntex in the laboratory that was working on these uh, charged fats, these lipids, positively charged lipids, to modify cell membranes. And she had the idea, DNA is negative, these things are positive. What happens if we mix negative DNA with positive fats like this that will fuse with cell membranes? Can it help get the DNA into the cells? Very simple idea, very straightforward. This is, this is uh, ionically driven attraction, which by the way, causes self-assembly. In other words, you mix DNA with these positively charged fats. They're driven to associate with each other because of one being negative. DNA is a polyanion, lots of negative charges all along its backbone, and so is RNA. And these positively charged fats, and what happens is they come together, the fats cover the DNA or RNA, and they form a particle. The particle is not actually a liposome. It's a self-assembling particle. That's what this means. These are very scary words. We think of computers or you know nanobots on Star Trek or whatever, but it's very simple. The chemistry is very simple. DNA is negative. It's a big negative polymer. And this is what he's going, that, that, I know he's talking indirectly to Karen Kingston and people who have gravitated around that stupid Peters um, type of thinking. This is why he's doing this. Guarantee it. And he was specifically aiming towards this point about self-assembly and um, charges, trying to disambiguate the the language and look it's not like we don't live in a world where they're starting to make these self-assembling um nanostructures right there's this process called teslapheresis right, where you can get carbon nanotubes put them in a high frequency um high voltage field 
and they'll self-assemble into essentially what almost look like neurons. Have you have you ever seen that? No. Oh my god. That yeah. sounds wild. Yeah, it's um it's pretty uh mind-blowing. Now, you know, I I I would look at that and you know, could you coat them in lipids? Um put them into inject them into spinal cord and um perhaps repair damaged uh, nerve fibers but um there's and it's not hidden technology right it's um don't they give time stamps anymore one minute ten do you want the one minute ten or the two minute fifty five? We'll do two minute fifty five. What we've designed and we've done this very, very quietly, but um, we're glad to now release it to the world is this idea of teslaphoresis, which is a discovery we made several years ago, and we've been developing it. Teslaphoresis is, the simplest way to understand it, is self-assembly at a distance, just long-distance assembly of, of materials. And what we did was, uh, because we're at Rice, we had plenty of nanotubes around, so we uh, decided to use nanotubes. And what we discovered was that these nanotubes can actually string together and form wires by themselves under this electric field. This fundamental idea of force acting at a distance, that you can have Instead of, you know, when you normally build circuits and things like that, you have to have physical contact. Now we're talking about building circuits without actually touching them. Alright, we're just dispersing this. Power on. And then up. I realized that a Tesla coil could actually do this if you designed it in a way to create a very strong force field in front of it. And so that was the engineering aspect of it. And then once I designed the machine, then all sorts of discoveries started falling out of it. Oh, that was a good one! Teslaphoresis is one of those things, it's a project that there are just so many avenues, so many things that I think you can do with it. Not just making conductive wires, but taking it in so many different places, not only just biomedical and engineering, and, but taking it into different industries like silicone chips or um, exploring different conductive materials. This also ties in just generally in nanotechnology that self-assembly is very big. That is, if you can get things to build themselves, just as in biology, we build ourselves. When my son saw it, he called them webs. You know, he thought it was like Spider-Man shooting webs out. And it really is. It's very much like a web sort of stringing out together. And that was a surprising finding. And the physics of that is actually a, a lot richer than what we had originally thought. So there's new science coming out of this as we go. So, um, my, my so guess... I am aware of the self-assembly, but uh, I, I don't want to feed the, the, the crazies out there. Yeah, the Kingston but there psychosis. Are, oh. There are self-assembled RNA nanostructures there. Even if you go, if anyone wants to go to YouTube and look up the company Precision Nanosystems, that's where they're housing all their webinars for free, and they've got self-assembled messenger RNA nanoparticles and some other self-assembly structures that they posted videos on. 
Got my sticky keys. But the the lipids self-assemble too. So that's what Malone was trying to say that they mm. they self-assemble, and that's why I sent a few of the photos of the my cell versus the liposome, so people had a a view. And um, that there, there is this, you know. It's not a hierarchy, but levels that you could go up with respect to tweaking these novel technologies. That's what I wanted to talk about today and talk about why it's bad for the immune system and why they're not really using them all that much. Um, Should we... Jump into... Yeah. So, yeah, I think... Like I say, my take from what Malone was saying was he's trying to dispel the Karen Kingston delusion right now. But there is but a you're not on a Borg cube. We're not on a cube. We're yeah. not on a Borg Cuban. Mm. Um, but but there is this um, there is this push for technology in that direction, and this is and again, how much how much are they injecting, allowing this type of dialogue to be injected in so that when you're trying to talk about the really important base issues that right. we do have it gets clouded and that's that's what and Kernan I think. said that too yeah that to mm. uh, ignore the graphene oxide and other narratives because it's muddying the waters of mm. what and should be focused on just get your mind around the toxic proteins and fats and expression products and of all of that and including including how they can snip those into um viruses i guess gain of function um have you been paying attention to the uh because i know you've been ill you might have missed this but so the latest pa- paper uh, from... i was in the doctor in hospital most of the last week or so yeah, so you might you might have missed this. So Nystrom's group in Sweden, who were the first to sort of point out the amyloidogenic sequences in the spike protein, have put out another preprint. Because that's the one where it's they're finding it causes aggregation of other proteins, correct? Yes. Yeah, so they're it's basically driving the aggregation of our own human proteins. Yeah. So they say that there's that, that it's there are two sequences that they've identified. One is specific to driving um, amyloid beta, the toxic form, and the other is PRP, prion protein. And, you know, that's a big, big finding. Now, again, it may just be that all, all coronaviruses can trip prion protein somebody needs to look at that yeah and it's not in the public literature right that and the thing is i would say this the experiments are simple enough that it could be done in labs that are not public one of a better expression that could have been identified and that could have been um focused in on and you know this People need to think about the Los Alamos databases that Charles talks about, 
where they will hone down epitopes to look for properties, right? That you, you, you could get a HIV virus, but eh, there's many, many nucleotides and many um, amino acids, and you know it's causing a whole bunch of uh, pathologies, etc. But which bits are causing what? And so they've gone down and honed down this these peptides, and it's highly likely that because SARS or coronaviruses are a primary research direction for biowarfare vectors, right? That they've managed to do the same, and. The fact that we see prion protein being targeted, that should just, everyone should just stop right now. You do not go gene transfecting them in people um, until you until you negate the risk factors involved. You say, well, okay, the, these types of epitopes are ubiquitous everywhere. The body has a... Um, X, Y, and Z mechanisms to deal with it. Um, I don't know of these um, mechanisms right now. What I all I would say, maybe I'm out of date, right? That, but misfolded prion protein seems to be the most aggressive form of amyloidogenic peptide. You do you don't handle a Creutzfeldt-Jakob brain like you would postmortem, like you would any other brain. Right? And we know that prion from those brains can cause aggressive Creutzfeldt-Jakob in people that handle that tissue. Um, I don't know, mistakes happen, right? You know, pinprick, needle stick or something. Um, but um, until we until we can neuter that specific question... Um, I, I th in my mind, everything just has to come to a screaming halt, and you couple that with oh, you, you're you're putting in a highly reactive lipid nanoparticle that's going to literally fire off inflammation and cause misfolding itself. Yeah, the positively charged one, mm. right? And that study was just got buried. Mm. We said there was probably twenty thousand studies or so that came out on everything COVID or. Mm. And the lipid nanoparticle and RNA part was not always up at the forefront, but that, that study showed through HPLC and was reversed HPLC with uh, used something else with the ion to show that impurities in the positively charged lipids are forming a covalent bond with the RNA and it's doing what's called an electrophilic attack and it can do aggregation, misfold, cause that within the RNA itself, and then uh, point mutation. But if that came in contact with any of the RNA in any nucleic acid in our body, that would have the same mechanism, mechanistic, the same effect. Well, but uh, um, it's just an avocado, Christy. What's the matter with you? It depends on where you live. <laughs> Otherwise, it might be fear factor. Right, right. Um, 
like a spider loaded with one. Yeah, I I didn't know people were. I didn't know if you wanted to bring up the photos just to yeah, talk yeah. about liposomes and the positively charged surface because JJ said, Christy, what do you think of that? And I don't remember what he said exactly. Uh, if I have the right, um... well, I have a I have a bunch here. I just fired off another email and I don't remember what I clicked on. I just saw liposome things and shot them over. Uh, but it was just an email within like half yeah, an hour I, that I've, I sent I've, over. I've, 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 Sorry. So so just so people are aware, there's my cells, and those aren't a, a double ring. Those aren't a double layer. Like that's, that's a liposome and how a liposome forms and what happens when it self-assembles because well this is my cell sorry so my cell is just one layer and the polar head and non-polar tail that it's talking about in this photo is where there's a aqueous center and my cell is just the basic form and these self-assemble because the the little heads that are sticking out the little circles love water and the tails on the inside don't want anything to do with it. So they just aggregate themselves and it starts off just like a, a line of them, like it shows in a monolayer and then it kind of just collapses on on itself and then it forms a micelle. I don't know if I sent the liposome one or uh, not or something else for a photo. Yeah, there you go. So there's just a basic how a liposome forms. It's so it's a got a bilayer and it's forming in the same way where there's just a chain of them. They just start forming oh, and coming you know together what? next to each other. I'm just getting flashbacks of biochem class where um for those that don't know, all those squiggly lines that shoot off <laughs> there's there's a whole layer of uh chemistry and theory that you have to learn about those and double bonded ones that would form mono and polyunsaturated fats and the which way they they line up against each other and that's that's the trans fat issue right whether with their synthetic peptides are the the double bond ones point in the wrong direction right and uh, I remember when that was coming out, and it's in a lot of baked goods. Mm -mm. But the FDA, if anyone likes to go down those rabbit holes, the FDA made a change to the ruling on trans fats, and I think it was any labels that were produced before a certain year didn't have to change their labels to include that they contain trans fats if it was under a certain amount per serving and i forget if it was a gram or what it was but if it was a certain amount per serving they did not have to list trans fats and they could just state it's zero mm. you know when I, when I was a kid i i can remember all the um i ate so many donuts propaganda though at the time where stop eating butter eat eat margarine <laughs> yep the butter's gonna kill you eat, eat our uh, synthetic slop uh, uh, it's actually lubricants for uh, high pressure bearings and <laughs> with some flavor in it I don't, we, we, I don't know if you used to get this but it, it was a thing in the UK that um, 
used to go to the chip shop, fish and chip shop, and basically everything was cooked in beef fat, right? And then it started to change as vegetable oils became the... Yeah, we had lard. We had Crisco. Mm. Is, is Crisco real? Lard? I don't know anymore. Synthetic one. Could be. Um, Those with nanobots. Right. <laughs> so I just so this was yes. Yeah, so this is just how these things form. This is how they self-assemble. So it's an entropy thing for people that are questioning why 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 would they curl up on each other and um, in water? It's again, it's the most stable energy state that they can be in. Derek. Uh, yeah. Is that, did I get it right? Yeah. It's been, <laughs> it's been decades since it's I... Spheric uh... stability. But that's what I want to talk about. So, all right. So when we're looking at liposomes and Dr. Malone was saying that there are positively charged lipids on the surface. And if you imagine this liposome, that there would just be positively charged lipids kind of dispersed throughout it. And a lot of our cells have negative charges on the surface. And what this does is it allows the, like he said, positively charged particle to interact, kind of like a magnet with a negatively charged surface, and then it promotes what's called endocytosis. So that's where the, the cell, like the surface of the cell, kind of engulfs the lipid nanoparticle, and then it comes into the interior of the cell, and it kind of makes a, a bubble, and that's what's also occurring with the lipid nanoparticle. And they have different biodistribution patterns on these liposomes the same way as the lipid nanoparticles so they can interact more strongly with negatively charged components in the bloodstream that will force them to be uptaken more. But then there's another thing that, again, Malone was just addressing, Dr. Malone was just addressing the aggregation or the self-assembly part, but these liposomes also, you can attach an antibody to the surface or a ligand and for those unaware, antibodies are this Y-shaped thing, and these are things I've designed in the projects for because you can make them recombinantly. So an antibody, this is a, this will be a Franken antibody. Whoops, got my constant regions messed up. So an antibody, for those unaware, is Y-shaped. Antibodies are, all antibodies are proteins, but not all proteins are antibodies. So you can make an antibody recombinantly. You actually make them in pieces and you've got to bring them together, but you use RNA and a lipid nanoparticle and you transfect Hecker Cho cells and then you pump them out, purify them. But you, this is called the variable region at the top and the two legs are the constant region. And what you can do is you can take, I mean, if you look at the lipid nanoparticle, which is the same as the liposome, like you could just, I don't have a, oh yeah, you can just have the surface of the lipid nanoparticle that would have these antibodies sticking out if you wanted to, and that's what they're actually using in cancer. Mm. And this region, you can have both of these the same where it can be recognized by the immune system or it, it can it can recognize a pathogen. So you can design these two parts of the antibody in the variable region at the top. I think those are like 110 to 150 base pairs each. And these span 900 to 11 if i remember my 
my construction right. So this can go in a liposome or it can go on a lipid nanoparticle and you can just put them all over the thing so it can it can target an antigen or you know you can also have what are called ligands which are small molecules on the outside of the liposome or the lipid nanoparticle and the ligand is a three-dimensional molecule and that can actually interact with a receptor on a cell for surface that kind of looks like a claw and it can then enter the cell that way and mm -hmm. there's issues though so those positively charged lipids on the outside, which is why the pegylated was added is so it doesn't interact with plasma proteins or complement because, uh, so number one, you want it to go into cells and not interact with, with proteins in, in the blood compartment. So one of the issues with, uh, liposomes is that they, um, they, our immune system recognizes them. They can be targeted by phagocytic cells to engulf them. So JJ's right, like the immune system can come in and then that would render them them useless. Also, if they're larger, then they can be seen by the immune system. So you want them smaller. But if they uh, if they are targeted, then they can also accumulate in the spleen. But one of the bad things is um, liposomes and lipid nanoparticle, if they've got a positively charged surface or negative charges, they can start interacting with things and they can form what's called a protein corona. And uh, albumin is one of the proteins that can attach to it. So, I mean, these are just little things here, but you can have proteins attached to the surface that this would come in contact with in the, the blood stream and cause a, a protein coating. So what would happen is this would actually alter the bilayer structure on the outside if it had you know, po you know positive charges on the outside or negative and they wouldn't be phagocytosed anymore so I, I just i don't know if I'm, this is making sense or just to step back a bit when we talk about steric stabilization the polyethylene glycol was added to the surface to do what's called steric stabilization and if you imagine yourself being out in the rain and you're holding an umbrella and that's creating a barrier for the rain not to get to you or touch you, that is what one of the reasons they added the pegylated parts to the outside of the nanoparticle was to stop it from coming in contact with the rain if the rain was proteins in the blood or uh, complement particles. So if it does come in contact with the protein in the blood, so when the liposomes are introduced to the blood, you know they can interact with these proteins and then they can have non-specific binding that can occur, or it can impact this whole structure, it can impact the charge. But what can happen, a uh, big thing when it comes to the immune system is, oh crap, so you can have a bunch of proteins that will attach itself and they will stick to the liposome or the nanoparticle if it weren't for these things, and do what's called a protein corona. And then the immune system says, well, that's... There's all this uh, stuff on the outside of the nanoparticles. And then that would actually target uh, toll-like receptor 9, and then interferon 1 would come in, and then you can have the cytokine crap. And uh, that, I think, is where some of the adverse events are happening. And then you wouldn't even have, like, 
Kevin, you know, like where, I don't know if you read like the bear stuff or even the trial data where they said a lot of people had headaches or throat fever after they got the jab, but then the people that had the adverse, uh, they, they had the injuries, they didn't, most of them didn't even have that. They, they had something like this happened where either it came in contact with something in the blood and it, and it caused a clot or the immune system came in. And I was reading another thing is that a lot of people so are you, talking you're, about... You're saying they didn't have that sort of generalized immune reaction where you're feeling a bit right. crappy and... Um, like you have that an actual cold virus or something even that you don't, right? Because it never, it never entered the cells in the way, I don't want to say the way that it should have, but the way that it was targeted to go in and make the spike protein, that never happened. Yeah. So opsonization uh, could have occurred, yeah. But the, oh crap, like the proteins that can stick on the outside of this, it can also, the proteins have a charge too. So that can alter the, we talked about the surface charge of the nanoparticle, because that happens faster than the immune system reaction. So I think when a lot of people talk about the immune system reacting, that's not an instantaneous thing, right? Where when these charges and things occur and things stick to it, that that's, that's pretty fast when it's rolling through the blood. Mm. So if this has a higher charge on it than it should, or if something happened, which we talked about in other videos, albumin is one of them. Uh, immunoglobulins uh, complement can stick to the outside and make this what's called a protein corona or same with a liposome. If these weren't here, but if this is breaking down during the freeze-thaw process and say there was part of it that was open here or it didn't have the peg on it, stuff can happen there and it can alter the charge and then it can shoot to the lungs or shoot to the spleen or the immune system would come in or it can cause coagulation events and the endothelium. So that's a, a nightmare, and then then these can and then aggregate because they'll have a different charge on them than what they're supposed to have. Mm. So that's why they don't use liposomes, I think, all that much in the drug delivery. Um, I know there's people saying that they're allergic to the PEG. There's actually, I was reading that you can develop an allergy to the PEG, so you can develop an allergy to this as well. I'm trying my hardest. To develop an allergy or stay the uh, away uh, from it. The peg is full of peg, so um, I have I haven't had a peg allergy yet. But they say with um, like I never used to have cat allergies or anything, but it's like you get exposed to an allergen and then you have to take it away. And then I don't know, like for me, a couple of years later, I then came into contact with. I remember it was my girlfriend's cat, and I just was like. <laughs> just had a massive allergic reaction and you didn't before no and grew up with cats and this was it, it's one of the i remember it being explained in one of my undergraduate classes that you can have this initial exposure and you don't have a reaction and then you take it away and then next time you um you're exposed you're and i don't, I don't know what it is it's rodent dander and cat dander for me and that was it was a big decision in why i went with monkeys because how did you 
figure out rodent dander, but I suppose working in the labs. Working in the labs. And, you know, I picked up, a, I remember picking up a rat and it's because you've picked it up and their tail will often sort of, they'll try and latch on with their tail, right? And it's sort of wrapped around my wrist. And I basically had this red whelp where the tail had wrapped around. And I just didn't, monkeys was, uh, never had an issue. So um, that was a big deciding factor for me. <laughs> and I had hamsters growing up and cats and dogs and um, I don't know if no I, I don't, issues. Don't think Maybe dogs. the change as you get older, because I had chocolate allergy happen, but it was only after I had to have a blood transfusion after my shoulder surgery and I developed an allergy to chocolate, which really sucked for that the sucks, next year. Yeah. <laughs> but then I read that one quarter of all chocolate allergies, this is really terrible. One quarter of all chocolate allergies, you're not allergic to chocolate. You're allergic to something in cockroaches. Uh, chitin, uh, the, the shell of cockroaches. Yeah. Because uh, I, I know cockroaches can land in is it the manufacturing process for chocolate or out in the cocoa fields yeah, there's, I don't know, al there's but... always a threshold of what they oh. allow i remember, I remember like uh, one fly per can of soup there's even like human blood and dna and, and cheese stuff. They're, they're allowed to they're just expected levels so you know the mob boss has just got to put you in bit by bit rather than in one big one big lump in the hot dog making machine. <laughs> yeah. I had a friend who did that for the summer and he gave me, not going to way off tangent, but I had a friend who worked at Hillshire Farms when he was a teenager for three months and he told me they had, who made uh, bratwurst mm. or Johnsonville brats. It was one of them, but they had to constantly pick out things out of the meat because mm. it wasn't passing for human consumption. Mm -mm -mm. Yeah doesn't surprise me at all and uh you know what um i still eat that shit <laughs> me too <laughs> i'm in wisconsin in the midwest so we we actually grill out in the snow here we're known for it okay we yeah. put cans of beer up the turkey's butt on the grill and grill out when it's zero out got a no. blizzard watch some football i have to like one of the failures visit <laughs> of japan if, if you've been to europe and lived through and Europe has the best um, salamis and sausage meats. And if you've been to, like, Germany, you, you get spoiled for um, what that type of food actually is. And I just can't get it in Japan. And the best we can get is sort of... We're coming up on Oktoberfest. Um, for yeah. us, we, we've got some big celebrations here. So in Wisconsin, where I live, I think it was settled by irish scottish and german so we've got a lot of the festivals that happen and a lot of cookouts and beer fests and microbreweries with all the nice good foods coming um yeah so when it's sort of handmade and um you know there's a history of it being made then you know the quality of it you get is generally much better and so in, in japan that sausage is not a real thing for them or, or it's not common in their diet and you can you can get it now but you'll pay a lot of money for a very very thin pack you want me to ship you some 
They can do um, a FedEx they won't bio let it. They won't let it, it past the, um, the border, right? Is that because they only allow their own meat in? Was I wrong on that? Because they're that's going on another tangent entirely. Because my parents sold part of their land. I know people around them were selling their land in Montana, and but there are. Is this correct? There's Japanese companies and farmers buying up land in the U.S. to raise cattle, cattle Chinese, here. Yeah. Is it Chinese? And then they, it's their own inspectors, and they ship it back. Yeah, especially Chinese. I don't know about Japanese, but um, the I, I don't know. Like when I went, last went to the U.S., I, I walked in and I'd bought a sandwich in the store, airport, whatever, Seven Eleven type store. And uh, I got pulled to the side as I was going through. And, uh, yeah, it's like you had halal laws, no pork. It's a ham sandwich. I had to, <laughs> had to hand it over. You was... should have been here last night. I just got four hams on sale. It's dirt cheap. <laughs> Sounds awesome. So, you yeah. Pulled, it's, uh... You got pulled aside for no pork? Yeah. Yeah, weirdly enough. And I don't know why that should... No, I know why, right? The the excuse is, is that they don't want um, parasites. It's about parasite control. And so you might be bringing in food that's improperly cooked, etc. And, um, and it's just got... It's one of those sort of post-9-11 little bureaucratic tools of abuse that they can throw onto you as you try to travel around and um yeah even a, even a sandwich now is a uh, terrorist weapon so <laughs> japan is the same you can't bring every country is they're just you're not bringing food items in do international travel and they'll say do not bring x y or z and usually food and you'll see basically salami like pictures and what have you so just fair warning to come to Japan. You could you could pack your suitcase full of... I have of, ideas uh, in my brain, but I wasn't going to say it on the stream because it's not ladylike. <laughs> I know, but... Uh, that's, uh, that's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there'd be some Japanese that pay uh, good money for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to... Uh, lipids and um drug smuggling and that's how that stuff happens too you know yeah lipids you can develop a you know jj and others are right like this thing gets in the endothelial even on the cell membrane it can activate complement system t-cells it can trigger an adaptive immune response even if you never had one like you said like you can just all of a sudden develop an allergy to not just the peg but the parts of the lipids themselves and then Mm -hmm. uh that's and and i didn't even think it you know thinking about how like robert malone was talking about the liposome and how if it's got a charge on it it can either it can cause a coagulation cascade really quickly which was also seen in that uh, fazulin atel paper where they looked at the negatively charged liposome causing the thousands time more active everything for the coagulation is cascade occurs and you got these super thick clots or um toll like receptor nine interferon one can come in 
The uh, the other things though, I didn't even know like how long you wanted to go on the stream or talk about. Like I was looking, so I started to look at uh, when I was bored and sick, and I didn't want to look at some stuff. I was looking at different things the immune system can recognize naturally because you have what are called pattern recognition receptors that uh, kick in. Was it macrophage, dendritic? dendritic cells uh, and cause a cascade of the immune pathway. And then there are things that the body just automatically recognizes as pathogenic. And one of those is uh, double-stranded RNA, viral genetic material and stuff from bacteria. I feel like I, I just hopped on a, sorry, just like a different subject here. So I started looking at things that our body is recognizing as pathogenic as an antigen and entering the body. And I was looking at different things. Mm. And then I looked at double-stranded DNA that's unmethylated. And so so that's a thing that I don't think anyone's talked about that, uh, so there's that would cause uh, toll-like receptors to become active. Uh, the body would go into an antiviral state, uh, super like interferon beta, interferon alpha. So I started looking at different things yesterday because I was feeling better, and I found some literature that double-stranded DNA that is unmethylated. That is the specific motif of CBG, CPG. So is it cytosine? and then uh, followed by a phosphate group, and then guanine in a DNA sequence. Sorry, say that common again. In, Okay, so we'll say this again. So we're going to look at C, CPG motif. So I was looking at different things. All of us, all of our bodies have a reaction to because it recognizes it as a pathogen. So CPG motif are specific to DNA sequences, and they contain a cytosine followed by a guanine, and they are linked by a phosphate group. And they are relatively common in bacterial DNA, DNA, but they are less in mammalian. And there's a difference, because we're just talking about our own DNA. Somebody starts freaking out, saying mm. it's normal. The presence of unmethylated CPG motifs in DNA is the same thing that our body recognizes in bacterial DNA or bacterial, sorry, like the, the genetic material or viral genetic material. And if that happens, our body is going to signal that this is a sign of infection or danger. So then you're going to have recognition by toll like receptor 9 and the... PRRs, and when they recognize this, it's going to activate toll-like receptors to attack antigen-presenting cells. You're going to have this huge response. So then I wondered if it was present on the plasmids that were used in the production of the RNA when the plasmids were put in E. coli, and you know those were replicated and growing up, and then they kick out the RNA. So I went to McKernan's substack, mm. and I pulled the sequence, and then I looked at further studies 
showing that it'll cause cellular stress and damage, lupus, autoimmune disorders, antiviral responses, immunogenistic cell death. Mm-hmm. So I took his sequence and I plugged it in to try to match the motif, and it's all over the freaking place. Uh, which I was doing um, earlier. So. It's in the promoter, but it's also throughout the backbone of the plasmid. So I was email, so I was messaging our friend. I don't know if I can call it our one of our genomic friends out there. We'll just say that one of our genomic friends and I were messaging yesterday, and I said, "Hey, I found this CPG motif that's unmethylated in the plasmid, and it's in the promoter, and it's in, it's just all over the place." And what would happen if that was incorporated into the genome? Would those cells then be recognized themselves? Or if they entered the cells, would the body recognize just the unmethylated motif? Because the body typically sees that as being pathogenic in bacteria or viruses, because that is this that is almost identical. That's very that's very similar to the same structure that's present in unmethylated. Bacteria and viruses. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, so then, this is like another uh, yeah, shit so storm to add to the pile. The the issue here is is well, perhaps not so much for bacteria. I'm sure they do use methylation and epigenetic coding, but um, in a virus, I would imagine it methylation is not a strategy that it would pursue. Right, because it's got a limited. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but it in, in my mind that because it's got limited carrying capacity, it has to use every bit of DNA for or RNA for coding and peptide production. And so, it's hard for me to imagine that it would say, "Okay, I want to switch off this gene, this gene, this gene." for adaptation to this environment like a bacteria um, is able to do or a a mammalian cell. So it makes sense to me that that motif, that naked motif, the body would say... a full sequence if you... you, Whoa. um, I have the sequence. um, I'm just sending you the part that's... uh... There was a guy on... It might look meaningless, but it's not. So this is parts of the, I pulled the Moderna plasmid. So I know it's in pieces. I think. uh... So I've got the Pfizer one on screen right now. And I don't know if this was from. Submitted this. Maybe, maybe this is from. Kevin. But um, so there was, there's this guy on Twitter, Japanese guy. I started following him a couple of days ago. And, you know, they've obviously taken these sequences. You can run them through um, amyloid-seeking regions. And so he's gone and labeled all these amyloidogenic sequences in in the protein. And so I got a... um, Email. So, yeah, it was Jean-Claude had emailed me and says, do you have the sequence for this? And it was like ORF-19. And I was like, there's no ORF-19 in 
SARS. And, oh, I know what you're going. <laughs> and so there's, um, but if you look at this plasmid, it has um, dozens of um, reading frames. And I sent the sequence to you. That's the part of the plasmid that is the that's what I'm talking about. If anyone wants to go really technical, because the CPG motifs are usually methylated and they're they exist in our human genome there's a methyl group of ch3 that's added to the cytosine nucleotide mm. if we're going to get like way into the science here and the methylation is natural it's part of important regulatory mechanisms in our cells and when they're methylated it serves as a way for the cell to turn off or suppress active nearby genes and methylated uh, cpg motifs are usually associated with gene silencing so they they're usually uh, play a crucial role in genes regulation, cellular differentiation, and development. So, but when it's unmethylated, that is where you can come into problems, and where the human body may see that as unusual and it doesn't belong. Just running it. This and this sequence is um, for which peptide? That, I pulled that from McKernan's. So that is part of, that's just part of the sequence that's part of the whole shuttle vector plasmid that Kevin McKernan posted mm. that he sequenced from the Moderna vial. But this the, this is representative of the specific unmethylated motif that would trigger responses from the immune system and you could even get autoimmune disease and this is where i want to shout out to amino gangsta because great, him and i had him and i have talked privately yeah so him and i have talked privately a lot and he mentioned lupus a lot well mm. in some autoimmune disease uh you know you could have a uh, it loses its you know the body could would not tolerate if you had a lot of this unmethylated CPG motif that's on the plasmid, it's on the SV40 promoter, but it's in a big chunk of that mm. production plasmid. If that lands in the jabs and lands in our cells, then with the adaptive immune response, immune. So that would that could drive systemic lupus. And Immuno Gangster thought that that could have been happening. And, and he was talking about the... Wondering what the mechanism was for the plasmid. Well, this motif could trigger the immune response for that. Mm. Or just launch people into their body into like a Again, antiviral with, with... storm, like cytotoxic T cells coming at them, or cytokine storm, or interfering response. So this would be awesome if JJ or anybody else just look at these motifs when they're unmethylated and the comparison to the same genetic material that's in bacteria and viruses in the body's mm. immune response to that. Um, and I think a cyclic GMP amp synthase is another thing that would recognize the CBG mo CPG motif. And then you'd have the production of type 1 interferons and it would come after 
those pieces of DNA. Again, I was talking to our genomics friend and I said, well, what if this piece is incorporated into the DNA beyond, you know, just total chaos and so again, unregulation. And he said it would be methylated upon entry. So then the thing itself wouldn't cause autoimmune, but it would cause the devastation of having something in there that doesn't belong even by one one point mutation mm. or two yeah so in my mind this is i'm galloping in on my hobby horse um but again these are um attack factors that yeah somebody put it in there right <laughs> that um i'm just at a desk saying there's the CPG unmethylated motifs that the body would naturally respond to and launch an attack against, and that could cause chronic inflammation and cause chronic inflammation or autoimmune disorder just, just for the least of the bad stuff. Shit. And so, yeah, we're in this, I don't know, it's a holding pattern. Just as we wait to see what what emerges and the um we don't know the interaction of virus the people that have been transfected that are in this i don't know rebound effect with uh, as Gert Vandenbosch is predicting um the expression products all of it all of it is again anyone who says they know what's coming um is lying it's um it would be impossible to know and um, we have to wait no one no one's we're about to run the experiment three to five years right mm. three to seven so we should see more more I impacts mean, I, I think we but like Joanna's right too when you talk about uh, cells moving slower and the daughter cells and mm -hmm. and I think we have seen the short term effects. Uh, I disagree about the not that I disagree about it was all iatrogenic. People had to get into the hospital for them to unleash uh, the protocols on them so again there's something circulating in the environment and you have to be able to account for so there's a couple of countries which are really crucial at trying to pick apart this data and one of those is Australia where they locked down ran their initial vaccine series and essentially, in that period, they have below um, predicted um, all-cause mortality. And then as the borders open up, it, sh it shoots up. And then they're running again at, um, I think, well, it was at sort of averaging 20% above the baseline that they were predicting. And... You know, so it's very difficult to just say, oh, it's just vaccines that have done that. Now, were there people who had instant reactions to, or relatively quick reactions? Yes, I know people who yeah. 
you know, claim. Me too. So they had clots in the brain. Yeah, um, cancers came back, etc. Yeah, my parents that happened too. They're both cancers accelerated. Uh, RA got worse. Your parents? My my brother. Yeah, yeah. I was I was getting hammered on Twitter. Thanks. I didn't know if that was why I was so upset. So I got the call at the same time that uh, because my stepdad is uh, P stage four, so there's no going back now. And uh, so they both had cancer. When they got both of the jabs, and it made both their RA worse. My mom said she couldn't even get up off the floor. But uh, ah, had cancer, they're both day. in. <laughs> Need another waifu. Then, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, both their cancers to... got worse. I don't know. Uh, like my uncle had... old Tin Man trying to get out of bed and just. <laughs> But uh, yes, it's yeah. There's no going back with my stepdad. That's uh, we're like I've already been told about the estate and the wills. So we're having those talks. Um, my I got the call that my brother, you know my mother, did that to me this week. She was just that? like, I'm I'm updating the will. I want uh, the grandkids' names, some of my kids' names, and um, she was starting to talk about it. And then I'm like, okay, and it's, they're never comfortable conversations to have and she just then starts going well you never know i might be traveling with your sister and we'll get smashed in the car and i'm just like wait hang my on. mom said the same <laughs> conversation that if her and her step my stepdad are in the car at the same time this is this is what would happen with the estate but then she's like if i die five days later then this will happen more than anybody really wanted to know about the estate well, I, my we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty details yeah of, uh... <laughs> Just tell me where the bank account is. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I don't want some morbid story. But I guess it's the it's a coping mechanism, right? In, uh, in that yeah. you're talking about it, and then even even though that analyzing scenario, it because it yeah. distances yourself emotionally mm. from it. Mm. But yeah, I like I, doing this helps. I know that conversation, and um. So, yeah, my all my family uh, has been injured. Um, my, I think that's when I really was. I was on Twitter and I jumped off Twitter, and then I got accused for taking money from Pfizer. When it was actually, I got the call that my uncle was at the hospital with multiple blood clots in his lungs, and my brother has a pre-existing condition, and it drove his condition. To where he had necrosis on his face and different parts of his body had to be removed and i was not uh mm. wanting to grim. deal with twitter at that time yeah mm. <laughs> and i was dealing with a phone call from my mom because she's emergency contact who was already feeling like shit that that had happened to both my brother and my uncle in the same week and i got the call and just said i need to check Man. out for a while was it was it uh Multi-brand attack or just one Pfizer or Moderna all round? I think they, they had two and then the... My Pfizer. parents had two and then they stopped, but then I think my brother... Yeah, but yeah, everybody had Pfizer. Mm. Yeah. Not that I think it would have made much difference, but... I know Ethical Skeptic posted on Twitter that he lost, like, at least two of his family members, right? And then him and his wife were... Mm. His, going his to different hospice location, like six of his family members either got clots, cancer. And he was, he was, I, I've never spoken to him. I'd love to speak to him, but 
I, I mean, I've had some he's a busy dude. DMs, with random him. dude. Um, he's. My understanding was that he was sort of. No, noticing the cancer wards were, for some reason, that he he had to visit, and they were overflowing, right? And you know, I, I there's some argument for, yeah, okay, people didn't get screenings for you know the first you know especially the first year things were messed up but that in no way accounts for what we're seeing now which is this sustained all-cause mortality and in younger people who would rarely rarely go and um, get screened for um, cancers and he's the graphs that he shows, which, you know, literally. Oh, it's frightening, right? The young and, and it's up to 54 and he's done like zero to 25 year yeah. olds. And they're both, they're both just. Yeah. Going. And in your field in the neurodegenerative, I have friends that are nurses, doctors. I've got a pathologist friend, and my pathologist friend says that he is working 18, 20 hour days. He's five, he's got lab at home and then attached to the hospital and then weekends too, and that two to three hundred slides a day and the, a number of tissue samples that are testing positive for cancer and then the stillbirths and the stillbirths and the placenta that have uh, plaque in them and clots and plaque and that is just crazy the the amount of stuff that that's just insane and then I just talked to another guy who's a, a nurse and he said in the facility that they are working in the number of people under the age of 55 that have Bell's palsy or neurodegenerative mm. is just nothing like you'd ever seen before. Mm. It's just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that I would put at the feet of um, the vaccine. And, you know, this is, it doesn't get talked about enough, but, you know, we have this 1970s sort of flu. What was that? That was H1N1, right? Swine flu. One. And, you know, they basically got like 20 deaths. I, I, even the recent one, 2009, was it? Yeah. And they had like... Uh, I was in the hospital with that. I had a fever of 105. Oh, no, shit. We had <laughs> a, two of our coworkers went to Mexico. So Forest is unreal, Christy. Two of our coworkers went to Mexico to party. And I think it was uh, it was rampant through Mexico at that time, right? And then they came back and I had just relocated to a pretty big city. Mm. And that just spread through our sped through workspace we all had it mm. yeah my fever i think yeah it hit just over 105 when it was the highest mm. yeah it sucks i survived I, I remember um i was training at the time like i was training a group of people and i like stuck it out until it hit like 103 104 and then just sweats pouring and i'm not able to move much but mm. yeah it was pretty bad a lot of people like a lot of people had it right um i don't we did here in the u.s I remember, like my uh, my health has always been sketchy after my twenties. Anyway, so um, if something was going around, I'd usually um, catch it. But I can remember doing my PhD, and and it was a Friday, and like people had sort of, French had already fucked off home, 
lazy bastards, but um, I, it came on really quick and I was sort of hunched over my desk and it's that elder. He's, he looked after me twice, actually. Once when I got my finger bitten off. and um, Finger bit off? Yeah, at the end of my finger. Well, it, got, it doesn't sit straight. Let's see, it's all bent. I was a monkey, took it off, um, and I was uh, I was like, oh god, I don't feel, I don't feel good, and he was like, okay, I'll, I'll get you to the clinic, and that's actually where I had my first ever um, swab done properly, right, and you know, I'd, I'd had them done before where they'd just yeah, take a little bit out your nose, etc. Mm. This dude made me like put my head back, and it, it was right down the back of my throat with it, and I was like gagging on it. And but it was uh, Haemophilus influenza, and um, man, I was messed up for a few weeks with that, and then well, then came chest infection and. Antibiotics, just uh, and being in a foreign country, and um, I want to say that was the first year of my PhD, which was a rough time anyway. Um, I was not, I was not a happy camper at that point. And, Influenza is rough, um, but you know, this was nearly well twenty-five years ago, and um. I guess the, the technology was beginning to emerge then that they could get this, um, I don't know, I presume the accuracy is improved, but they can get the sort of multiplexed um, PCRs for like flus and influenzas stuff. Um, it, uh, I, 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 the diagnosis seemed dead on with symptoms, so... Um, I can remember just thinking at the time I was like wow <laughs> and it came back pretty quick it was like next day so what year was that? God, I want to say 2000 yeah besides 2000. the super bacteria I got I have not been knocking on wood I have not gotten a Anything that I know of for a virus. Mm. Yeah. Well, At least I three, mean, four years. It happens. And, you know, for me, oh. that was... So I'd had... Whatever. I don't know what it was. <laughs> University, but the, I was just told Epstein-Barr virus. It was Epstein. Get on with it. And so I'm going to get sick coming up, so I should shut my mouth. I have to go. I haven't shared what I'm doing for a living to protect myself because people on all sides of the fence are trying to mess with people but i'm about to be seeing patients again i want to be seeing patients in a yeah uh in january inpatient uh as part of the new career and i know i'm just going to get sick i don't know a way around it otherwise other than taking sublingual vitamin d that i've always taken for vitamin c and have zinc on hand i don't know what else to do mm, yeah i mean look I, i'm gonna get hit I think I, was, I have less chance because I'm going to be working inpatient in clinics, not outpatient. Well, I, I would I would say this: rest, right? Sleep is the yeah um, the best medicine. And you know, I, the reason I got ill 
when I was young was I didn't want to sleep. I had too much, too much to do. And then eventually when something does get you, it just hits you hard. And, or in my case, it did. But I had that and, you know, so and I had really prolonged post-viral whatever years it lasted. And that was, I don't know, couple of years after that i got this thing in france and i say it just brutalized me is that yeah. where your little yeah that squatter yeah. needs to get out is yeah that where your little lymph node occurred mm. yeah it's all woody yeah it's like a thing of concrete in there and um... it's like your total recall head yeah <laughs> thank you it, it's gone down a little bit but um yeah, it was really misbehaving the other week. I think it's time to pull it out. So these CPG residues, I mean... Yeah, because it's not human DNA. Right. So, the so it's not self-DNA, so the body knows. So every, every vial that has some contamination, or, or if it has plasmid contamination, will have this CPG motif which right. again will lead to it's abundant in here it's like an abundant thing it's not that it's not but it's unmethylated mm. so the body can distinguish its own dna mm. so then you're gonna that... say kev i sorry like well it's, it's just this cellular damage like uh, our genomics friend said if it gets integrated that the cell would commit you know Right, going to up kill itself. Yeah, but but the the issue is around this driving the immune thing. system to basically even exhaustion. more. Yeah, yeah. So um, you have the peg doing it because mm. the peg is doing it. Even though I push back on that because I just think that's the least of the problems. Mm. Of course, it's bad. But it's also causing problems. And then you have the positively charged lipids. And then you have the net charge. And then you have the Zeta potential driving where it goes and having clots, coagulation, cascade, immune system coming in and being a part of that. Mm. If it gets expressed in the endothelium or then the... <laughs> we have to add to the list. Amyloidogenic. Mm. Yeah, the, it's, it's... the spike itself, then the recombinant protein itself, misfold, then the positively charged, the impurities in the positively charged and I, I, I would Attacking implore the people. You have to look at that as holy crap. So here's another one. Yeah, someone if wants to con confirm the CPG motif where it's linkered, but it's unmethylated. So the body would naturally respond to that in the same way it would, you know, bacterial genetic material, mm. because it's. But it, okay. you know, this Not is something that Charles human. brings up: is that you have. Um, you know, I could, uh, the way you're describing it, it's a novel um, mechanism for me. I haven't heard of this, but um, it's it sort of sounds like a baked in super antigenic sequence, right? But in this case, it's not amino acid, it's nucleotide. Yeah. And um, again, you're shunting the immune system into a um, hyperactive state 
Um, yeah, there could be an antiviral or bring on autoimmune disease. And the one specific that I look at would be lupus. And again, that's something that Immunogangsta, hey buddy, posted a lot on Twitter. And he mentioned the plasmids possibly causing that, but this specific bo- motif would do it. Mm. It's also in the SV40 promoter, but it's more interdispersed throughout the backbone of the plasmid. Mm. Bastards. Yeah, I was just going to say. So there is no, <laughs> like we know there is no safe. There's not one, there's not one level that doesn't have, um, well, from my perspective, weapons program written on it. And again, if I would make that argument that as much as they knew back in like the 30s and 40s as they were working their way towards making um, nuclear devices, someone understands these systems at that fundamental level and also how to scale up so I think these were actually, these motifs were intentionally put in the injections, the DNA injections, in order to launch a heavier Listen, immune um, response. Mm. So that, so I think they, they knew that, but the fact that it's also in the expression vector and then all the other bad stuff's going on. Mm. Yeah, so they knew it's going to provide a, do a longer lasting immune response, but that's one thing JJ said too that, that I agree with. Like you can't freaking control that. Mm. Yeah. And then, I, like I had written a Substack on women too. Like when we talk about different people have different immune responses, even if you don't have an autoimmune disease, where estrogen can drive stronger immune response in women when they're younger. Also, uh, phases of the menstrual cycle when there's higher levels of estrogen. Studies have shown that women have a stronger immune response across the board. And then once they hit menopause, that, that backs down, which might be why that's one of the reasons why some of the doctors out there are saying that they're not seeing the same responses, reactions in those who are past a certain age. That also has to do with micro RNA too, right? Or not the RNA, micro RNA that's in the lipid nanoparticle, but our bodies have micro RNA like in our noses that respond. And that is less over time as you age, but, yeah, the yeah the freaking things all throughout that expression plasmid as well. So then that expression plasmid, even though it's not supposed to land in there, mm. is also driving a stronger immune response just by itself. Mm. Yeah, bastards. Um, <laughs> I just know how these discussions went down, which is, um, yeah, well, you know, the of course we can expect a little bit in there and. Um, but as a, well, we already have the immune response from the peg, and then the immune response from the positively charged, and then the DSP. Every part of the lipid is triggering a, mm. the lipid nanoparticle is triggering a response, and then and we have the plasma like, now too, that's a, and the spike protein. It's a feature for uh, <laughs> for the immune response. I was actually looking at a story today. I, I read the headline, not the story, but they've got a new new line of. RNA vaccines coming out, which have is that their, the which have adjuvants that has a contamination. No, it has adjuvants in the nucleic acid sequence, and I'm now I'm just wondering oh, what if they've um, if it's these motifs that they would put in, or if there's an equivalent um, in RNA. 
I mean, I'm presuming that there would be slight differences, but the edge event within the RNA itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, God, where did I see that? God, I look at so much, um, stuff and so it says that the mrna covid vaccines pfizer and moderna do not contain an adjuvant yes you're doing the plasma buddy <laughs> just proves that with a motif just just search for, for this week in the last 24 hours and i don't know, see if you get a hit Sorry for my but the, keyboard. They meant they're meant for nasal. Um... There it is. More power. MIT engineers design more yes, powerful RNA vaccine. Yep. My crap. Yep. And back to, to, you know, I don't want. I don't want to be the saying. Oh, we shouldn't be exploring these technologies, right? Um, you know, there's. Look, I'd I'd like to think that in places where sanitation is an issue, right? That yeah. you know maybe you might want to thinking about some some way of lessening child mortality. Hey, just a quick uh, see what it was the engineers they engineered the mRNA to encode the C3D protein fused to the antigen, so both components are produced as one protein. And then, so it is the same motif. And they used ionized lipids again. I was trying to see if they they said that. Oh yeah, the new vaccine will also provoke a stronger T cell response. Mm. Exhaustion. <laughs> <laughs> So at know, a lower dose, it may be it may be amazing, right? But I don't trust anyone at the moment, especially with this um, gold rush type mentality that's that's gripped yeah. everyone. And um, dem demonstrate to me that expressing amyloidogenic peptides is a good idea over the long term. No one's done that. And I see I see plenty of anecdotal evidence at least that we're seeing disease processes that could be linked linked to that particular mechanism. And you know, it's something it's something that you know, take my domain. It was sort of taken that yes, you're gonna be dealing with these peptides as an assault from pathogens through your lifetime and generally as a consequence of lifetime exposure you tip into the neurodegenerative end of the spectrum if the cancer doesn't get you or the heart disease etc um but you know we've co-evolved with all of these pathogens such that there's, you know, again, you have to look at population level, but the impact is generally um, 
well, it, it doesn't leap out of, at, like the someone was just saying in the chat. So Australia is running at 16% all course mortality increase right now. And um, we haven't been in a situation where, and I don't care if you say, oh, it's as close to the natural process as can be because, you know, you get exposed on nasal epithelium by viruses and that's that's logically fallacious mm. and <laughs> hey can i just point something out in this article because sure. if uh stew peters or kingston decided to jump all over it, it says to identify the lipids that would work best the researchers created a library of 480 lipid nanoparticles with different types of chemistries this is going off the recent mit article that they they are making the stronger all of these ionizable lipids, which become positively charged when they enter acidic environments. That's what I talked about. There's some that are already positively charged within the lipid nanoparticle, and then there's ones that can gain a charge when they enter a lower pH, which is a more acidic environment. It states that the original COVID RNA vaccines also included some ionizable lipids because they help the nanoparticles to self-assemble. <laughs> with mm. RNA when they target RNA cells. And I just saw that and thought, oh, shit, they're going to go after that. So, again, that's just because, uh, like, again, here's a, a plasmid. It has a negative charge on it. So, like Dr. Malone said, too, when they self-assemble, he was talking about my cells, and we were talking about the chains of the lipids and emulsion. But uh, part of the way they self-assemble is the positively charged lipids will stick to, you know, the the plasmid, which they didn't intend to. But this is actually in pieces, so I guess I'd like to correct I. I don't think it was out there. People, when I had made those slides and talked about the plasmid as being holy in the LMP, like Philip, Dr. Philip Buchholz and McKernan have found that they are in pieces, correct? Like it's not, it's, um, it's not existing I, I, as like I, I a thought, room. I thought it was like I've ambiguous seen as to... We're not the, sure. Yeah, that was my understanding. And so, it could be in m multiple forms. Just might be hanging out looking like that. But mm. when they self-assemble, they head towards the center because it's so negatively charged, and then the positive charged lipids surround that. So that's what that article is referring to when it means self-assemble, not that we're on a Borg ship and becoming a locutus. <laughs> well, you know. Um... Or seven of nine. How's it going, Joanna? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the the issue is, and um, you know, uh, We've been going long enough that hopefully only the um, dedicated are listening. There is this push towards this type of technology, the brain machine interfaces, the um, but Elon's doing with the nano mm, things, Neuralink, and the well, you know, I I I could have been in on that research, I don't know, gold rush. Path, I guess, but I'm. I don't. I don't. Like I said, personally, now, as, as just from my ethical perspective, I don't want anything to um, do with it or contribute any more than I than I have done. Um, but the me making that stand doesn't stop what what they're doing. There's plenty of other people who are prepared to. I don't say sell out, but you know, they, when you're young and you've 
smart and you want to make a life for yourself and a name for yourself um that's a it's a it's a, an, an inevitability that you will have people looking at this type of technology because we've we've just got such convergence between the informatic domain computation exploring biology whatever the transhumanist whatever I think everybody enters for different reasons, like Dr. Ikem and I. I haven't talked to him in a while. Uh, he's in California. Uh, he, him and I both got into wanting to do medicine because we both had family members who died of acute lymphocytic leukemia, and we wanted to work on a treatment or a cure for that. Him, it was his mom, and then for me, it was my grandma. And then the first company that I worked for the most uh, has a hand in the foundation for the current treatment for acute lymphocytic leukemia. So that's what draw me to him. Mm. Like you said, there's a lot of people that want to make a name or money. Mm. And so they'll... Uh, like I went in to be involved with CAR-T therapy. Right. I mean, that's a um, fascinating process in and of itself. I mean, CAR-T therapy? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, you probably can explain it better than me, but... Another episode talking about how that works. Since in some people... But it's, it's literally a case they take your T-cells out, right? Yeah. And, and they're processed. Manipulate them. Yeah. Um, and put back into you. I mean... It, it makes sense to to do that, right? I mean, you, you if want... If you're going to die... Mm. If your plan A is death, is suffering an early death, you want something to try to fight to stop that. So that's oh, where that, that that sweet sleep peace. <laughs> it's not real. It's a Scooby Doo. <laughs> um, uh, like I said, I've I've been in clinic side enough where where. The people who have neurodegeneration, that's the one thing that freaks me out. I do not want to go down that path, right? I've but, seen that with more than yeah. one family member. It sucks. And that, that it's the, the fear that they have, right? Because it's, that's the overriding sort of emotional state that I see with um, people who are um, suffering from that. And it's so long and drawn out now especially nowadays because we can just sort of keep you ticking along and i don't know the there's sort of elements of you know they have like excruciating anxiety etc but almost because of the degeneration it's not what happened to my friend's wife oh right yeah i yeah, feel yeah. bad for mentioning it uh because mm. i she's you know just i think when she first started getting the symptoms, she was in her 50s, but it was either end of 2020 or early 2021, and she had nonstop panic and anxiety, and he was saying that she couldn't even function because it was just 24-7, panic, anxiety, panic, anxiety, and the drugs weren't working, and I didn't even ask further. It was my, I just felt like shitty for asking, like, I don't want to assume it was this menopause, that can happen with women entering menopause and her age, and then we met for lunch. Yeah, that, that just hit me. Holy shit, when he said uh, dementia, 
Prepping on set dementia. Now she doesn't know where she is driving down the road anymore. And it's the same road she's driven on forever. And she's, you know, doesn't understand. Like I asked, like, does she understand how to put like a key in a lock? Like are those types of Reflexes. actions mm. and they're not, yeah, they're starting to go mm. like fast. Mm. Yeah. And they, they, they get, um, seen it so many times that, especially like in the Parkinson's domain, right, where they can't move, but in, in there's still some churning going on in the brain but it's it's not like you're in a <laughs> cartoon uh, it's anxiety paranoia the, the it really fear. is a cartoon movie inside out <laughs> wow <It's> a... <laughs> roger rabbit style um, th there are there are types of um dementia where i think it's um frontal Frontal lobe, Louis body dementia is the. That's and, what I think she has. And so in this, in that particular instance, it's common for people to have external hallucinations, and they're kind of sort of comfortable with them, like they're seeing I don't know, whatever. Fuzzy gnome, dog. Gnomes and fairies. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> um. You know, I, if I was guaranteed that nightmare. one, that wasn't uh, a, you weren't seeing demons, you were seeing right, right, care but, bears. Yeah, and it seems dancing. It seems that that's the clinical expression in this particular. Like you would see a bunch of waifu pillows. Right, right. <laughs> the, in most cases, it's it looks just like crippling anxiety coupled with a just a breakdown of your ability to express yourself properly and oh it looks no. uh I, I don't want that even even when we've sort of gone in and you know you, you you give someone like the best of care right so they've got the perfectly placed deep brain stimulators the yeah like we have mayo mayo rochester is close to where i live and that's I, a flagship i know the neurosurgeon there very well <laughs> dinner in the mail yeah in this house um the and he's, he's a brilliant Korean guy. Um, and, you know, he's sort of driving for use of DBS in neuropsychiatric disorders. And that's why we, we got close. Um, and, you know, I have, even without me, they don't need me, right? They, they'll, they'll push ahead and they're doing stuff um, that they'd, they don't need me to um pull in the next steps and the next iterations of the technology and in in that particular domain it it's one of engineering anyway right as they find out ways to build um better interfaces and you know this was one of the discussions i had with i'm trying trying to arrange a stream with him but um sparkus and wow that'd be awesome he's uh he's he's brilliant dude Right, just someone who's. Does he have to go anonymous, where he's just gonna? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he's the one that wrote "I am Spartacus" letter that was in Zero Hedge, and um, he sort of he he went really viral. Um, but I was speaking to him right from the beginning of the pandemic, and you know he he just like I say very very technically adept, but outside of biology, and he just dove. Head first into the biology and just 
Phwack, he just got all the pathways down and um, really, um, I say, a brilliant mind. And he, I had no idea about um, this this type of approach. And I'm pretty au fait with um, the types of engineering and interface that they're looking for. And um, they're, they're literally looking at, so amyloids basically are just sort of repeating peptide structures, right? And they've looked at, and so it's something that they can control very well, literally with like a sort of inkjet nozzle type delivery system, right? And But instead of going across a page, they can, well, it'll, it'll go left to right, but it can also sort of build out like you've got a 3D printer on it and they can build these amyloid um, quite you know, dense structures but they've got um, a bunch of physico-chemical properties that literally they're saying oh we, we can make brain machine interfaces out of this and, and this is where I'm just like okay the the field is just leaving me so far behind because I, I grew up thinking you have to do everything to avoid exposing the brain and <laughs> your body to this type of um, peptide chemistry. But no, because of the conductive properties that they have and, uh, well, they're very robust structures, right? But they're, well, they're, 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 part of their argument was that because it's peptide, that they thought it would be more biocompatible. Mm. Um, <laughs> That's the same LMP argument. It's not an avocado. <laughs> avocado isn't compatible anyway. And it, like he he laid this on me, this uh, uh, all this research, and um, I, I, my jaw just hit the floor. I couldn't believe that they would be thinking along those lines to um, interface with the biology. That they're, they're so desperate to interface with biology they're not getting enough bio signals out anyway that they need <laughs> i need to um go in and and in theory you could um encode for that by you know genetic introduction right so you get it into the area of where you want to make contact and start expressing the amyloids off target effects that they've even found with CRISPR, you and I talked about, like, I had friends just were saying that the guide RNA, for anyone unaware, CRISPR cuts a gene, you can do what's called homologous repair, you can, you can take a section out of a gene and put one in, or just cut or splice, but you need guide RNA, which is like the instructions of a cruise missile, to go alongside of it and tell it where to go and where to make those cuts and go in, but like I've heard people say guide RNA is 100% accurate. It's not. But then you, you can affect downstream something else that you didn't want to. Mm. That, I don't think I told you. Did I tell you I had a scientist friend in the UK that stole a rabbit out of the lab that glows? <laughs> they were doing that. <laughs> that's just put, uh, that's just a put serious breach, man. That's, uh, that's a GMO <laughs> organism, I believe I man. just said that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were... They were they were putting the plasmid from the the phosphorescing uh, mm. the stuff that we used to do in our like basic microbio lab when you had to make the back did you have to make the bacteria glow and then make it uh, resistant to antibiotic 
It was uh, with, with E. coli. Bit before my, uh, or a bit after my time. That's sort after of, time. Yeah, that was a standard in microbiome. Uh, we had to make we we had to glow. Basic stuff like uh, adding pharmacological compounds, nicotine and muscarinic agonists and antagonists, that type of thing. <laughs> that's that's the tech we had when I back in your day. <laughs> yeah, there's no uh, gene engineering. <laughs> Very... I, I went to the library and we had a typewriter and I remember when Whiteout first came out and I thought, holy shit, this is the best. And then it was the correcting ribbon on the typewriter. I remember when that came out. Yeah. yeah. We didn't I have mean, the internet. There was no we internet. We did it in college, was, but when I was younger. University. It came after I was at university as I was doing my PhD. So, you know, around 2000, you started to see internet beginning to emerge. I remember the sort of proto um, libraries for PDFs emerging back then, NIH. And man, it moved fast, really, when you think about it. How it was prior, which was just decades of aggregating journals on library shelves and you you literally having to walk. With books. Yeah. <laughs> With Heavy journals, ones that okay. fucked up your back. <laughs> yeah. There weren't any snazzy backpacks back then in our day when we walked uphill and there was no like yeah, uh, even to, organic it, chemistry. Oh, you had to crap, walk uphill to books. get there and uphill to get home. Mm -hmm. Carrying a, a shit ton of books. And then you had to return them on time where you got fined. Mm. Yeah. Or uh, then was, you lost them and you had to pay I, for them. Whoops. I was a right bugger just for uh, keeping books and not taking them back. <laughs> just. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see your letter. Bye. <laughs> I had library fines too. Yeah, I've, I must have some massive ones. Probably. Me too. Is there a statute statu of limitations on those? I, I think so. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was, gonna th I was just going to say something about the brain machine interfaces and the. Sorry, we're on a tangent. That scares me what Elon Musk is working on. Yeah, but that's I, that's actually really basic technology, right? It's just it's just a um, compacting of the type of interface that I would do. And um again, this is this is where engineering comes in rather than I don't know, like the art of the biologist being able to handle the organic system the monkey the rodent etc it's all it's all gone towards all, engineering well it's all different though right like we we've always had a saying that biology is going to do what biology is going to do because we could run the same cells with the same amount of rna the same nanoparticle the same cell line and you could express differently one day to the next in heck and show yeah. and so the same would go in the human body you don't yeah. you don't have control over that well, you know, this is so. What they've done with the technology is to to an extent, but so if you, like functional areas of the brain, right? So we have a pretty good idea of like the sensory mapping, muscular mapping of the motor system. The frontal areas, limbic, not so much. But are they getting? Sorry to interrupt, Kim, but I was I didn't want to say who I was listening to a few times where they're getting to the point on MRI where they can they can predict 
it yes. like they know is it like seconds ahead or like 30 seconds ahead to a minute oh, what someone's can... response is going to be or how far ahead so that's not can... minority report type stuff but yes it's... yes yes and um look that requires you to be in a very large magnet and um you know, lots of computing being leveraged and you know they're building out um what your what image you're looking at um there was a japanese group that was being able to interpret dreams um in this particular and again how reproducible any of this is but that's the that's the direction in which they're sort of heading um there's this push for and i i i think you know from my lifetime's experience this idea of you wanting to have electrodes right at where the neurons are to be able to stimulate and read them and i don't think that that's well it depends so the brain is very good at ignoring extraneous signals right so you're looking and concentrating on this conversation and you're you've got a whole bunch of other activity that's going on and the brain is able to ignore it as being extraneous to the task that you're attending to and it it could in theory i guess you could get some sort of you know these nano um what do they call them men's basically sort of they'll have like iron cores and um uh sort of insulating material around it and they can the idea being that they can read and write to neurons um in sort of real time i was and i was doing a whole bunch of streams about them um a few weeks ago magnetic something nano uh I'll find the papers but um the just my experience is that you can go in and you can think you're feeding in relevant information to the brain with stimulation patterns mm -hmm. and if the monkey's not interested it doesn't matter what you're doing it'll um it'll do what it wants to do but if you can get a sweet spot you can maybe get a window where you can sort of take control and be directing behavior or interrupt behavior that as as you as the outside think is of research or clinical relevance and i'm i would say to people you don't need to get into the brain because you want to you want to use the biology that has evolved so that i would argue that you want better retinal projection right so you could overlay information through the visual system or auditory system or sensory system and you've got the built-in layers that can do the processing necessary so you can say that that signal is of importance and, You're you saying know, to change our eyes because the human eye sucks. Like compared to like the crab, the crab has awesome vision. Well, but the um, human so eye, I, like ours, are built backwards. Correct. Like if I remember my yeah, there's there's a whole um, process to do with um, the optics and image reversal, etc., and the brain 
um, accounts for that. But just um, in terms of the, you know, you're basically talking about bandwidth, right? I don't, I, it, it's hard for me to conceptualize that they would be able to get more bandwidth in by getting some nanoparticles or um, mesh in into a part of the brain and start reading and writing better to use the eyes where the mind is okay i should be attending to and so you know the military applications are sort of what you what you're looking for and so um you know the like the modern fighter pilot helmets they basically can it's like it makes the plane invisible around them so they can look and it it gives them real time like 360 vision right that's a far far better way of building a brain machine interface and extending senses than trying to drill a little hole in the skull and put in some stimulating electrodes use the visual system use the auditory system where there is that processing and you you can extend out the um field if you like of your your senses now the question becomes well okay what about can the pilot react faster than say an ai drone that's i mean you could basically take the pilot out of a plane nowadays right and just say boom go and fly but is is that pilot better in uh, is that ai better in a dogfight compared to a human who has who's been trained etc and this is we're, we're now at this sort of inflection point where this technology now is sort of um again it's merging so like the military strategy is okay you you've got like a piloted plane and then you'd have swarm of smaller um ai controlled but you're basically saying you on the left you engage that target and it can then run through a bunch of instructions that that its sensors will try to rely on and defeat the target um and so we've we've reached this point where so you can have drones so this this happened recently right so um they were making the drones autonomous and then because they'd set rules within the algorithms to say um you can't you can't do x meaning not um, civilian yeah yeah something like that and miss but, you can't fire in this or and so they'd and but they'd also sort of given it this reward driven type algorithm where um it's it would get more reward from the more targets that it was able to defeat and the ai basically worked out that hey hang on the controller behind me is um limiting the amount of kills and rewards i can get i i should go and take out the controller and then i can do <laughs> what i want <laughs> yeah and um you know and I, I guess there's the issue around you know what what substrate are you doing this computing on and yeah i don't i i i'm not sure where that looks or goes right now 
and you know if medicine's sort of... getting that way because i had that at my appointment uh one of my appointments because i had a crap ton this week but they they plugged some things in because they decided to check some other things in my body and things going on because i'm in late 40s and they said oh the computer says you don't need this checkup for another three years and i was like yes just based off of the blood work that we did here and i'm like great less less uh physical contact and less traffic on my body is always a good thing yes. <laughs> see you later but yes. like what you're saying like the, if that takes over and they set certain parameters that's not is that always safe is it always a and then it's only operating within the parameters of whoever loaded what they did because yeah and I, I'm someone could load something that we don't know about, just like a just as innocuous or or not innocuous, but you know, there's been toys that have been loaded with people made the Teletubbies. Wasn't mm. it the purple Teletubby or the red one that, that said some, some bad things back in the day and that was just somebody messing around? Somebody could enter something that or remove a protocol, remove a safety. Yep. I'm trying to I'm trying to look for these magnetoelectric. AI has been pretty cool. I just kind of want to defend it for a second. Did, did you know, off the top of my head, there was a woman on your side of the planet who was suffering from leukemia. And I don't remember the type of leukemia. When she was first sick, it took doctors like months to figure it out. And then they, the, the doc, doctors or researchers somewhere, after not being able to diagnose her, and I don't know why they used her as a test, but they, these researchers loaded all of her medical information and all of medical literature that they could into IBM Watson, the, the mm -hmm. big supercomputer. IBM Watson diagnosed properly and had the treatment to put her into remission in 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's useful as a tool if you load the right info in. Yeah, yeah. Now um, she's in remission. So Doctors were stumped. I'm... I'm not Doctors against awesome that type of, of technology, right? Right, uh, to uh, use it as a tool. If mm. you use, it's not, it's your, not the ultimate, it's not making that end goal or the end decision rather, but you're just using it as another but source I, of information I, I, to weigh what you're going to do. I think doctors will become, well, I think we'll need less doctors, right? Be because, more awesome. Because the machine learning will be able to take up much more of the, um, burden and, and you know we're seeing that's this. brain power burden that takes energy to do that all day like being in biotech and designing things there's a reason that i there's a few reasons i left the field but i was working 16 to 18 hour days and you're on call to call to call to call to call and i'm bouncing half an hour on one call and talking to a researcher i've never talked to who's got a gene sequence and a literature citation who's never made the protein before but wanted to do this 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 this, this and then we've got to design it and work on everybody else's schedule and you have border directors screaming at you because you didn't express the amount of protein you should have because the thing was fucking transmembrane and wiggled itself into the membrane and you couldn't get it out those are my typical days mm -hmm. and then you're like what happened to our hundred thousand dollars worth of uh, 20 grams of protein and why you only got two mm -hmm. so there were times where i was in the hot seat and we're like oh shit mm -hmm. and they're they're all mid on the screen then i went with my coworkers when we went in the bathroom and we vaped our brains out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know because that stuff's stressful and uh it, it's it takes so like okay so when you talk about taking the burden off pharmacists you know, when i was working in pharmacy I, I wasn't a pharmacist, but I was working in pharmacy. I was in school 
on that path, you know, we didn't even get a lunch hour and we were running to the bathroom eating glucose tabs because we didn't have time. And mm-hmm. your brain starts to collapse after you do science math all day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Younger brains can hold, but uh, is it over the age of 30, glucose depletes, glucose stores deplete more? Um, well, you, you know. You can I've, sprain your brain, the gray matter. If you work on this whole issue around. Um, error rate increases. Like, do you do you really, should we really be eating sugars the way that we do? There's a, there's a lot of sort of, in the neurodegenerative field, that um, these are, like, the, the development of the neurodegenerative state is, the, is a consequence of deranged metabolic states, right? So it's not like the head is in, in isolation. And this was this was the one of the real take home messages that I had when, you know, I'd by God's grace I was had access to this monkey that developed this young onset. Um, well, we're not sure what it was precisely, but we know that there was um, all the signatures for uh, what what had been theorized as being part of the uh, disease process. And it was to see the signaling be not just neural localized, because that was the thinking, especially in like a, like a Michael J. Fox type scenario. The body's still healthy, etc. And yeah. I think Michael Fox is a special case, because I think his is... Uh, my grandma was 93 and she died of uh, dementia, but she's closer to my height and she's still running on the treadmill three miles a day. She was, wow. But the, the, she was like a super strong physically, but mentally. It, it went. But usually you'll find that the buildup in other organs as well. This, and, you know, just it was just one of those aha moments for me looking at this because, you know, going from test, synthetic test platforms where you're taking a neurotoxin. Michael J. Fox, I think, is uh, he was exposed to a specific neurotoxin in his youth, right? But Aww. yeah, yeah, the, that's how we that's how we developed the Parkinsonian model is because of this um, product from synthetic opioids that was doing the rounds on the West Coast. Um, on the Family Ties TV show, mm, is that what he was in? And but you can lesion someone like that, knock out their dopamine, get them past the acute phase and the monkey stage. And basically they can lead a somewhat normal life, I guess. They're not fast or anything, but they'll do their normal behaviors. They're a bit depressed, I guess. But um, it's not like the degenerative state that we get into where where there is this cascading protein misfolding and it was seeing that because we we tried to get eggs from this animal right because she was so valuable we wanted to clone her and all of her organs were not you could just if you looked at it under a microscope it just didn't look healthy or right and there was um, these signatures everywhere and I was you know you're always learning 
right? And there's only so much you get from a model system. And up till then, it was either you saw the person in the hospital when they're like your grandmother, 93. and Yeah. And she thought she was married to her physical therapist, and then she was very aggressive towards the end and, and strong, too. So she ended up yeah. having to go into a private housing with eight other women because she, yeah, she's physically. Okay. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, but that's mentally. Usually... Haloperidol dose goes up, and uh, yeah. <laughs> but that's a tough one because if they're Parkinsonian as well, um, she wasn't though. She, she was wasn't gone. Parkinsonian, just just cognitive. Uh, yeah. Haloperidol then shut down, shut down a dopamine system. Sorry, I mean at the end of that, yeah. But there's there's people that have dementia or Alzheimer's that are physically still able to be active. They're just not mentally. Yeah. That's but, when you don't argue with them, you just change the subject. Mm, yes, very much. And, you know, but the systemic aspect was... So you were, say, were you saying there's like glucose involved? Yeah, so it's... it's um, so you become insulin uh, resistant, right? And this is... That's one of the prodromal markers for neurodegeneration you, you oh can... we're shit out of luck in the u.s then look at our oh god rate. yeah 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 is it, is it like 70 percent now mm. yes so the, the the sort of markers are i usually in... eat protein like last night was a a treat day but usually i have like egg whites and avocado or whole eggs and for breakfast but i and... think that's the more natural diet is Longer periods of not eating, maybe foraging and getting a little bit of um, food somewhat. And then you catch a bit of game, right? And if you're lucky, it's... Uh, talking about like paleo and intermittent fasting. Right? Yeah, yeah. I th and like I said, I think that's the probably the more evolutionarily closer diet that we should be taking whereas you know what the modern equivalent is where you're taking in synthetic i don't like i, said, I think the, one of the worst things is you know people talk about the glyphosates and everything just fructose corn syrup that's yeah. that's enough to screw everything up it <laughs> just uh that will like I said, well you know you go to the US and the juxtaposition with J Japan is everyone is fat in the US. I was sharing that, that your, your serving sizes, like a little pack of Oreos are small and like four cookies. Like you don't buy them in a pack and sit down and right, just right. mindlessly eat in front of the TV. Mm, yeah. Because they're just not there to do it with. Yeah. Just There's more effort sold. involved. <clears throat> you just and, have to unwrap a lot more little packs if you wanted to do that. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and you realize you're just making more mess and got to tidy it up. So, um, the, but yeah, the, and and this is why this, um, the all cause mortality, I think, was so heavy in the US, was the metabolic status at a, population level. We're talking so, about 2020 and COVID. Yeah. yeah. 
I think that wasn't just, jab up, take it was a combination of uh, all of those things. Right? It's you can't just say it's just this one thing. This right. this is the thing that's infuriating me about the um, it was the hospital protocols. They had to get in the hospital first, right? And if you were in a um, situation where look, I can look at myself and. There was there are innumerable um, comorbidities that you know my experience with SARS. Okay, now we know in retrospect. Okay, that's that would explain a lot of the um, your foundational health matters. So, like, I I just turned forty eight when I'm not bacteria laden. Like, I'm working out a lot, but like, I was some more than one person when I had my pulmonary embolism. I woke up with the. I was in I was in Mayo for that. That was within the last year or so. So I had a pulmonary embolism, but I also had a I had a few things happen, and I fractured my calcaneus because I was overtraining to run a a marathon at the Bluffs. <laughs> but so um, there was other things happening that probably were the cause. But I woke up with only pain under my armpit, and that was it under my left armpit. And I woke up and it it really hurt under my armpit, and I thought that's really weird. Why why does that hurt there? And I called the nurse at the doctor, and she couldn't say, but she knew. She she obviously knew that was a sign of referred pain from a clot that was probably happening. And I never had pain like my leg. And she said, "If you don't get to the ER right now, Miss Grace, I'm calling an ambulance to your house, and we're going to take you. We're going to take you there." She said, "Get there now. Go now immediately." And I said, "Why?" She said, "I can't say. I'm not a doctor, but get your ass there now." So I drove there. My uh, D-dimer was off the charts high, and then I was there for a week. And then the not being able to breathe happened later, but it. My heart rate stayed at 40 and my blood pressure stayed at 90 over 60 the whole time. And I have to think when they told me I had a you know, 10 to 20% chance of living that I'm here because, like you said, like people already had comorbidities in place. And yeah, and, you know, I'm talking today because I made it through that and same with crazy bacterial shit. Well, world, uh, world needs you. And like I said, the <laughs> reason oh, I was. Well, no, the reason I started streaming was because of No Virus Idiots, where I was just watching literal errors. <laughs> That's the scientist. I was like, ah! <laughs> um, can't have that. And, you know, I was seeing it sort of permeate around. But I was also coming off the back of what, what I 100% presumed was SARS. I've had viral illnesses since. Nothing else was like that. And it just... Because of the TBI, I I was gone, man. Is that for... because uh, I had a substack on that, and I was going to talk to you that. Is that because when you have a TBI, you have more permeability in your mm. blood-brain barrier? I think so. And so I then think... that would be another reason why athletes might be getting impacted more if if it has to do with subconcussive hits and post-concussive yes. hits, that they have uh, more permeable BBB. Yeah, yep. and that's what I think happened in my case. And That sucks. Man, I was... I can't remember much of it. But had brain fog big time and like post-concussive yeah. symptoms happened all over again, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, I had the, and the thing is my lungs were clear, but I still had the dyspnea. Do you have like spinning or you couldn't move or sometimes it's going well, upside it, down or? In the peak of it, there were parts of it where I, I'm lucid enough that I... Can't concentrate, headache. Well, I was, I can remember thinking my wife was my sister and I was asking her, what are you doing here? <laughs> that's, that's, I can remember that bit. I can remember sort of, 
convulsing on the bed in um, episodes between sort of blanking out and um, and yeah, so I I had this sort of neuro, you know neuropsychiatric abnormality. That's what emerged for me, and the and I, the physicality of it, I would say, would be like extreme norovirus type illness, fever. But instead of it lasting twenty four forty eight hours, it was a week, and um, it was aspirin that sort of started to normalize it. And I had I had I have a medicine cabinet full of things to suppress and control symptoms, etc. Nothing, nothing worked. But as soon as I started taking aspirin, it um, started to lessen, and that was. So you know, I remember thinking at the time, "That's not normal. There's n- there, that's beyond the range of anything that I've seen prior and I've seen since." And then at that time, we start hearing about um, Wuhan, and and the rest, as they say, is um, history. And I, I'm at the point now where I don't know, you know, was. Did they? Did it just an accident happen in the laboratory? That's enough to kick it off, or was there really a seeding, multiple seeding event in different parts of the planet that people have talked mm. about? Because they talked that they couldn't have spread that quickly. When you talk about the lead up time, right? Because it was five to fourteen days. Because mm. bacteria is lag phase versus log phase, but viral replication when you start jumping up exponentially because they were saying symptoms and spread was i thought five to 14 days is that r not like they looked at the r not number so it was it was so there were people who would have they could have like a, out to 30 days at the yeah. beginning they were saying that um you could go from exposure and then maybe develop symptoms i mean i don't know how how much that holds now so I, more not. I had thought only because the city that i'm in in wisconsin is a pretty big uh, international city where we've got uh 10 of the population of the university campus alone is from china so but mm. then they had go home for holidays around the first second week of december and then they come back mm. and that that happens. I don't know if we talked about that in a stream or not, that it was probably one of the things that happened because the United States has, I think, 300,000 some Mm-mm. students from China. Not that they're all going back. But you, don't, you don't have the airline capacity for that. But every country like U.S., U.K., mm. Australia. Yeah, but going... the Chinese locked down internal flights and let it let oh, international right. flights go. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, a lot of um, suspicion has to be there were the students used China. as vectors yeah and business people used as vectors over the chinese new year too that yeah. came in maybe that's that's a high high probability scenario right now and you know the i hate to think what that means in the coming for the future because you know we you established that there's biowarfare agents involved and um, the fallback is, well, okay, 
will admit to that, but then it was China. And so people are going to want restitution, etc. I think Is that's it... why they're going after the hospitals, because they can't blame themselves. Just when you talked about comorbidity and people were blaming, and stuff has happened with remdesivir. Like when you look at that drug, I had sent something off when I was on Twitter because they were looking for something regarding the testing that was never done on remdesivir in regards to the cytochrome P450 complex of the liver. I don't know how long you wanted to chat and go off tangents, but like the liver, I think of it as in the substrates, there's like a entrances on a highway, like in the U.S. system where each highway has a different number labeled to it, and you can only have one drug on one entryway of the highway at one time, and that different classes of drugs operate on different, like if you think of it in the on-ramp system, like CYP3A4, but that remdesivir was never ever tested with other from what I could find, it was never tested with other drugs to see what it interacted with. And a lot of those people, because they already had comorbidities who were in the hospital, not that remdesivir would have been a good choice anyway, but that it interacted with other drugs that they were already wow. on because they already had comorbidities too. But then, so there were stuff that happened in the hospital, right? But that the fact that they're only poking at that and nothing more is because yeah, they want restitution. Once, they once want punishment. Pick out one thing and start ignoring all factors then you're going to miss the target and yes should we be holding hospitals to account absolutely yeah. because um there were protocols. and insurance companies too and you know that the american system proved particularly problematic because of there were the nurses coming off that uh i mean i don't know if you knew this that there were nurses who had not been bedside because the a lot of the hospitals in the United States have relegated RNs and BSN to phone lines where they're bringing in med techs and one-year certification students now to be at the helm or the primary triage in the doctor's office where you used to have RNs. And so the RN and BSN and higher, a lot of those went to the phone lines mm. and were not bedside anymore. And some of them for like 10 years. So like we were reading people like, blasting out on Twitter that uh, I was an anonymous count before I used my, my full name for a while and I kept getting banned, but that they were given a slide deck saying, here's what we want you to do bedside. Now we know you haven't touched a patient in 10 years, but like that was one of the concerns is that some of the staff had not even worked. And then, and then they're having to come in under extraordinarily, it, yeah, it's like it, the worst scenario anyone's ever seen in their lifetime. And I, again, we would say, who had the power to be able like, to holy... make Crap. make those dictates? And so that's that's why I'm sort of reluctant. And the pressure, to, to yeah. Point at just China um, as being uh, responsible. Um, I just want to say kudos to all the nurses. Like kudos. Like I was sneaking in. Uh, I was sneaking in stuff. Let's just say that with I would go into the infusion station because I used to get infusions from migraines a while back. But uh, I was sneaking in gifts stuff. I was sneaking in stuff and bags of candy mm. <laughs> early on. And help out, yeah. Like they faced the brunt. Of, like I remember them having to go into the rooms, and the doctors wouldn't go into the rooms that mm. they were being used as human shields. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I don't know why the U.S. was such a shit show. Yeah, powder keg, ready to go, and. Like I say, a lot of once that decision was made that COVID guaranteed a payment, 
Oh, so that happened to me. I have a personal story. Do you? Well, you're not in the U.S. I don't know if anybody else wants to type in the chat because I'm out. I run a lot, and our parks were closed. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. So our state parks were closed, and we were not allowed to go in the state park. Mm. And we couldn't go for hikes or anything. I'm like, where the frick am I supposed to walk? Mm. So I found two trail systems that weren't part of the state park. We have a Ice Age Glacier Trail, and I found abandoned hunting land. Mm. So I started driving 10, 15 miles to go hike on abandoned hunting land because our state park. This is freaking ridiculous. Anyways, long I cut myself on, cut myself on what appeared to be barbed wire, pretty bad and pretty bad leg bleed. I went in April of 2020 to the urgent care. My leg was just bleeding all over the place. And I had like a rag tied around it to try to stop because I need some stitches. Mm. And they asked me, do you have any sore throat, cough, fever, runny nose, sausages, blah, blah, blah. And there was two lines and you could see where they were direct. Guess which line they, they directed, they directed mm. me to the COVID line. And I just walked out, went to a CVS mm. Buy some safe said, glue. Can you stick it can together. you please uh, help me bandage CVS Target uh, pharmacy and said, can you please help me with my leg? And I was the only customer in there with a the pharmacist. Mm. We took care of my leg. Mm. But yeah, they were. That was just one example. They put me in the COVID line. Mm. And my leg was bleeding all over the place. They said, and we know that they put them on this, records because is... they got kickbacks, right? Like thirteen grand was it a yep. patient? And more if you got them on ventilation, and and said so that that wasn't an issue in Japan. You couldn't get um, clinics to take you in Japan because if you got registered as a COVID patient, that meant that that hospital was off limits and could only deal with COVID, and so they were refusing patients and um, diagnoses. Basically, it was like you couldn't. There wasn't like the PCR bonanza you, here, right? You, you they could get them. patients? Yeah, yeah. If they thought you had COVID, they would refuse you. Because then, because of the rules that they had. But there were no government We had incentives. that here. Like when yeah. I went in and you talked about getting mummified through your nose, like when I had my the pulmonary embolism, that was the first thing they did before the ER sent me up to the pulmonary ward. They uh, swapped you. Mm. <laughs> the yeah, the, they didn't the, even have a doctor on staff third shift. I should just like admit this stuff and just share it. Our yeah, our hospitals are in some serious shit. They had no doctor present on the first two nights I was there for the third shift whatsoever for the two nurses for the entire pulmonary ward, which was full, and they were just going to put me in my cot just like at the end until somebody died, so then I got a room. This is the craziest thing ever. Mm. Let my heparin run out. I was uh, like 18, 20 hours without heparin. They didn't replace it. They didn't check my levels in my blood to see like how how thin. Then mm. I have to think that was happening in other places. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's... I don't think that was an accident. That was all set up, all designed, and as as much as they understood the molecular, they understood the complex social interactions, and they could line everything up, make it have the impact that it did. And the, you know, it's it's like the injunction to. This is why Charles is so pissed, right? That they forced everyone in the military to get um, transfected. That's not a 
that's not normal protocol. And they say no. I was just talking to a former military nurse who said, "Yeah, they could say no to their stuff. You didn't have to like to other vaccination, mm-hmm. right? Like this isn't a vaccination, but but that post Golf War, right? They they had they put rules in place that you could refuse the vaccine yeah. because of the um, issues around uh, what do you call it anthrax vaccines. And yeah. um, I I'm until we can dismantle the idea of these systems being weaponized at all levels that who who has the power to dictate medical protocol across hundreds how many countries are there 200 countries i don't know but across at least the sort of industrialized parts of the world and there's that's where people need to be looking right now and you know i'm sort of i'm sitting here and watching people talk about how it's vaccines or i don't know what we're talking about remdesivir um or even just the virus right now it, it's like it's done right it's it's you, you should be talking about who did what when where and who had the power to um implement such programs and that's that's the route we should be taking right now um <laughs> as much as i enjoy reading neuroscience papers about um amyloid I think I think we got our answer this week, right? There's 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 not much more beyond. Okay, we've got a novel sequence. I blasted it, and it's it's not part of uh, any viral family except SARS. That's prion protein specific. If that data holds, um, so someone knew, and someone knew to target and weaponize that that particular element. Which, which, from a medical perspective, is the, it's like the most difficult to treat. There's, there's no treatment for... A brain tumor is easier depending on the brain tumor, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Brain surgery has got a better outcome, depend, depending. Depending, depending. It's depending. Uh, a lot, lot of it's an example, but if you get amyloid... If you get, and it's coming from it's coming at you from all directions, and yeah, every part of the LNP and RNA and plasmid and the spike. Mm. Not yeah. every part, but the positive. Yeah, one of the lipids is causing folding. Is it? It's folding the positive charge one. Specific or just the distribution of charge around it. So the. Well, the Parker et al. 2021 paper that is part of that slide deck you have posted, that is the one where they used more advanced analysis that had not been used prior in the manufacturing of lipids or the RNA or the lipid nanoparticle to look at the interaction between the positively charged ionizable lipid that's existing in the center that's electrostatically bound to the negatively charged RNA with the phosphodiester backbone, and now we know the plasmids as well, that it is experiencing 
due to impurities in the positively charged lipid, what's called an electrophilic attack, where it's because it's uh, highly electrophilic because of the positive ele electron seeking that it's making a covalent bond and either mutating the RNA can cause it to aggregate, misfold, make it non-coding, all the above inside the lipid nanoparticle. Shit. So then, so then when I raised the question, when JJ said I was doing stupid difficult, you know, if that's doing that to the RNA in the lipid nanoparticle, what is it going to do when it interacts with other nucleic acids in the human body? Yeah, and, you know, it's this case of, well, the body has the capacity for repair, but it's, you know, if it's it just getting... repair stuck, everything all the time, right? Right, right? And you keep bombarding it, and then you have multiple injections and boosters come and... Yeah, it's... Like I say, you the, might have partial, you're lucky if you just have a partial disruption just for a little while, and things go back to normal. If it's just the RNA and the cellular machinery that might have gotten mucked up is just temporary, right? And then the body corrects. Well, I think I think this is what happens with um, the long hauler phenotype in most people. They get shunted, and essentially, it's you, you could the brain inflames. It starts misfolding, and the adjustment back is that long hauler state and eventually you know a year two years later you're back to some sort of normalcy but some people don't there are i've seen you know reports and i'm in touch with people that have just continued to um degrade as a consequence and you know it's one of those you know, someone was talking yesterday that they did find a genotype that made people particularly susceptible to the new variant, quotes felt Yakov disease. And it'll, I presume, it's the same, same phenomenon with what we're dealing with right now. And some, some will be less impacted than others. But it, it's all these, all these things are immaterial compared to someone took a, the shot. Yeah, right. that's that's the that's full body distribution. No, I just mean some dome de toe. Someone fire. It's, it's it doesn't matter the disease mechanism, right? Pick your pick your poison. It's more that someone mm. or a group initiated the whole thing. That's that's the cancer that needs taking out, right? <laughs> irradiating whatever other technique you want to think about um, destroying them but if it wasn't for them we wouldn't have gone down this this pathway and I think that they're well the fact that they did it means they have to keep following through and I think that's why we're just seeing such ridiculous um, they're just digging the heels in now and everything's switching over to RNA recombinant proteins, whether they're expressing it in cells with the RSV and trying to lock it in the pre-confirmational state, thinking it's going to stay there. Yep. Not that that even matters at this point. Mm. 
I'm gonna have Holy to call ripcord. It's three AM. I just man, I'm. I got to eat some brats with my <laughs> antibiotics. I'm still on oral antibiotics. So. Oh yeah, well enjoy those. Even though they brought in the other ones, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm eating again, so that's good. That's good. Yeah. All right, I'm <laughs> desperate for the uh, bathroom, but thank you, Christy. Me very, too. Um, Thanks, Kevin. I feel like it could have been better. So. No, I mean, um, but you're going to do formal presentations every time. We could. Um, we did that already um i think it, people find more information as you sort of work through the Big dialogue time, yeah. and the the discussion i find more so uh, that's for me everyone so you have to put up with it you that have a... thank you i'm gonna <laughs> eat and i'm gonna do all the work i gotta do and then we gotta oh I'm i gotta just... catch up on writing stuff for that paper so some of I... us are writing a paper are we allowed to say that I think we can just say that, right? Yes, I have we are, to do some that. Some of us are well. contributing to some work that may be published soon mm. beyond the book. I hope. I hope. Okay, have a pleasant day. And, you too. Um, have a good sleep. Get some sleep. Yes, I'm going to. Good for right. the brain. Take care. All right, folks. Uh, the awesome Christy. I literally am about to spring a leak, so I'm out of here. Take care. I'm just going to end the stream. I can't sit and um, do the outro. But uh, thank you, thank you for watching. I saw there were some donos as well. Thank you for supporting the stream. I will see you uh, in the next one. Take care.